Warning, the Our Voice podcast contains explicit language and may not be suitable for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. everybody to united not silence the our voice podcast uh i'm your host anthony montrubolo i'm joined by uh the apollo creed of the our voice organization adrian higgins hi and the spider rico of the our voice organization sam ronan what's up how you guys doing isn't apollo the bad guy yeah, he's, no, he's like the cool guy. one. He's he, he he is, but then he becomes the good one, and then he's his buddy, and then he gets killed by Ivan Drago by the Russians. Yeah, Watch out, everybody! Yeah, the Russians. Anthony, my whole life I've had everybody going "Yo, Adrian" at me. My whole fucking life. <laughs> I didn't and now I got this other guy. You didn't make that connection. <laughs> no, I didn't. That wasn't even the reason I, I I brought that up at all. That's really funny. That's too funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But watch anyway. out! The, the the Russians actually were, were were the bad guys in the fourth movie. So <laughs> before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that was when it was cool, and then it wasn't. Now it's cool again, apparently. True that. <laughs> but um, so no, I just you know we have an interview coming up with Graham Elwood. Uh, so before that, I just want to take care of a little housekeeping. Um, if you guys uh are listening to us and you like what you hear, please uh rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, because we need to uh, get our podcast, you know, heard a lot more, and that that helps us with the algorithm that gets us into the iTunes charts, uh, and then a lot more people listen, and we can do even more podcasts for you. So, uh, if you can help us out with that, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people in the organization were talking to us about making the podcast more interactive. So, I set up a uh, a Twitter and a Gmail for uh, for people to uh, send us things. So. If you want to ask us questions or if you have some comments, uh, you can email us at ourvoicepodcast at gmail.com, O-U-R-V-O-I-C-E podcast at gmail.com. And on Twitter, we're at ourvoicepodcast. Again, that's O-U-R-V-O-I-C-E podcast. Uh, So yeah, you know, tweet your questions, uh, comments, and we'll uh, try to read them on the show. We'll try to do a new segment and read them on the show. Um. Uh, I didn't get a chance last week to mention it, but uh, R.I.P. Chris Cornell, you know, one of the most badass uh, metal vocalists of all time, grunge vocalist, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Hunger Strike is like my favorite song in the world, so that was a super bummer last week. And uh, not sad at all that Roger Ailes died, because he's a fucking predatory asshole, and hope he's rotting in hell that I don't believe in. Um, But... So we're going to uh, get into some stuff uh, after the music. Uh, you're going to hear our interview with Graham. Then we're going to talk a little bit later with Alexis uh, Edelstein. He's the uh, founder of Bernie Kratz of California. So we're going to talk to him about the uh, fuckery that went on out there in the election. Because uh, there's quite a bit of it. Um, so we're going to get to that. 
Um, you know, I we, we we cover mostly American politics on the show, so we don't really get a chance to talk about international stuff too often. Uh, there was the bombing in Manchester uh, last week, the really, you know, just horrific terrorist attack at the uh, Ariana Grande concert. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's horrible. And, and sadly, in the, in the wake of that, you see a lot of uh, pundits on both sides trying to immediately politicize it. You know, you see the Theresa Mays of the world immediately jump to, oh, well, you know, we need to close all our borders and yada, yada. The same, you know, bullshit you hear out of Trump. And, um, and then you see pundits, you know, on CNN and whatever yelling back against them. Well, you're just demagoguing. And... It, and it's a lot of bullshit, but I, you know, I the, the really inspiring thing to me is that the people who are there dealing with this and living with this aren't phased by that, and they're not affected. Um, they recently had a uh, like a, a rally or a moment, you know, they all gathered at Saint Anne's Square near near the attack, and they had the national moment of silence for all the victims of the attack, and it was really inspiring to see. Just spontaneously, somebody started singing. Uh, don't look back in anger uh, from by Oasis and the whole crowd just started singing it in unison. And it, it was just this really beautiful uh, display of, of unity and vigilance in the face of, of such horrific acts. So you don't see that on CNN. They don't play these sorts of things because it would interrupt them yelling at each other. So I, I just want to play that uh, that audio for you a little bit because it's it's really moving and it's it, it's something I think that they should be showing on CNN because maybe we wouldn't be trying to kill each other if we saw that, you know, we can come together. We're not so different. So I'm going to play the audio from that. And on the other end of that, you'll hear our interview with Graham Elwood. And uh, thanks for joining us. podcast is Graham Elwood. He's a stand-up uh -huh. comedian, fellow podcaster, documentary filmmaker, 
Uh, he's appeared on The Late Late Show, uh, The Sarah Silverman Show, and Aggressive Progressives with Jimmy Dore on TYT. Uh, he co-hosts Comedy Film Nerds, a film review podcast, along with Chris Mancini. He also hosts his own YouTube show, The Political Vigilante. Uh, Graham, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for listing off a bunch of digital things that barely pay my rent. Uh, it's really exciting being a digital entrepreneur, um, but at least the good people at Google are helping me by uh, they just demonetized a video about the airstrikes in Missoula and the Pentagon uh, saying that a bunch of civilians uh, were herded into a building or something like that, and that's why that happened, so... That's um, why we just happened to kill a hundred civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's their yeah. Their number is the Pen the Pentagon's number is a hundred. Um, that group, I think, Air Wars, that that non for profit group, that is, they have the number closer to three hundred. Jesus Christ! Um, but that's what they're going on. They're demonetizing uh, progressive <laughs> independent media <laughs> because they need to keep their. You know, keep the propaganda machine going. Yeah, right. Of course, you know, coincidentally, when they, they get a bunch of influx of money from uh, old media with YouTube TV. Yeah, old media. Yeah. So they're just uh, they're doing they're doing uh, they're doing fine work under the thin, thin veil of I'm still allowed to have freedom of speech. I just can't make any money on it because it's deemed offensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I Ugh. guess. What they're supposed to make cat videos or uh, talk about, you know, whatever Trump's hair like that. I could Russia. do that. Yeah, Russia. Well, yeah. If I was, if I was I'm sure your Russia videos wouldn't get demonetized if you were saying the right, right. things about Russia. Oh, you want to know a great statistic? So, you know, I've only been doing my YouTube channel for about three, four months. I started with about 160 subscribers. Now I have 3,300 subscribers, and my videos, on average, get anywhere from like. You know, three, four hundred views, and sometimes I'll have a video breakout that maybe gets a thousand or so. My most watched video at fifteen thousand views is about Russia, and it was not demonetized. Wow! Right, because <laughs> it had Russia in the title. So if I just go Russia, I bet you if they listen so, to it, they so would have demonetized is, it. <laughs> if I want to become relevant in the movement and in, in my own campaign. I should just put Russia in the title and then talk about whatever the hell it was I wanted to talk about. Yes, yes absolutely, Sam. You should just say <laughs> Russia and... Uh, I'll just... That's what I'll do. I'll open up all my videos by saying this. Russia. Okay, <laughs> now for the actual topic, which is going to be healthcare. Or why the hell are people with their heads up their asses still? Yeah, do that. Just to like... We should have a socialized medicine like Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Jordan from TYT had that great tweet the other day. He's like, uh, I'm searching for a Russia connection with the uh, Flint government to see if we can get any mainstream media down here to actually cover oh. Flint. Oh, my That's God. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just going to have to think of witty ways to add Russia to everything. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. Honestly, that that's what I'm going to do. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it helps, Sam. I hope it helps. So, um, so yeah, you know, uh so I want to ask you some, you know, political questions because uh, I know you're real dialed into that. Um, so, in a nutshell, what do you, what would you say is wrong with the Democratic Party if you could boil it down? <laughs> That's. A, I'm gonna need a giant vat for that kind of boil. Um, the Democratic Party. Here's the thing: the, the only difference between the Republican and Democratic Party is the Democrats are pro-choice and gay marriage. 
Like, that's it. They're pro-war. They're pro-banking. They're pro-pharmaceutical uh, and, and healthcare industry. They are against workers. And in some respects, I have more respect for the Republican Party because the Republican Party just comes out and says, yeah, we're a bunch of rich white guys. We don't care about minorities or anything else other than tax breaks for the rich. And everyone else can go to hell. Well, the Democrats, you know, they're Goldman Sachs with a rainbow flag. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, 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 it's hilarious to me. And then since you would think that after the election and like Donald Trump was probably the easiest candidate to beat, like so easily beatable. And after the election, the Democratic Party hasn't learned a single thing. And they honestly, but part of me understands why, because they, they it's worked. Yeah. They've gotten away with this for decades. I mean, you know, there was eight years of anyone but Bush and we all bought into it. Well, I did. I mean, I'll admit, my, I'll admit I was yeah, sure. part of that, like anyone but Bush. And so they're just hoping that everyone, and you're seeing a lot of chatter on the internet of like, all people will just say, I just had this, this discussion, almost a debate with a good friend of mine who I consider a smart guy. He's like, we just need to win back the House and the Senate in, in 2018. I'm like, who is we? <laughs> the Democratic Party that, that I go, you know, all you have to do to see who the Democratic Party is is look at look at the reaction to Syria, the Syria bombing. Yeah. The left stepped got in line and went, "Yeah, oh, he had to do this." When yeah, Tulsi he's presidential. Gets, oh, oh my god, he became president tonight. <laughs> yeah. said. You know, Brian Williams like, "Oh my god, oh my these god. beautiful." <laughs> I was like I did a whole video on that that was also demonetized. Uh, of course. Because I was like, uh, how many, each one of those rockets, how many people did they kill? How many schools could they have fixed? You know, how much drinkable water in Flint could one of those rockets have paid for? Like, and Absolutely. it's, look at how Tulsi Gabbard was treated by Howard Dean. <laughs> you know, there was that interview too from Wolf Blitzer and Tulsi Gabbard was going, um, Hey, why? What, what, look, first of all, do we have all the evidence with chemical weapons? If we do, regime change doesn't work. I, I'm an Iraq vet. Wolf Blitzer was like, "Yeah, but the Department of Defense said so." Like, <laughs> <laughs> even Wolf fucking Blitzer could could suss that one out. Yes, like, so I'm I'm sitting there watching this, just surreal, going. So the politician is asking the tough questions, and the journalist <laughs> isn't. <laughs> and it was funny. I think Glenn Greenwald tweeted right around that time. He goes, look how quickly uh, the news outlets become state-run media. Mm -hmm. They're just pushing the state's objective. And, you know, when you have your eyes woken up by Chris Hedges, like, I've just finished reading Death of the Liberal Class, and you're like, oh, wow. It shows you that the Democratic Party, you know— has they got hijacked by the Clintons in the nineties, yeah. but they have been making this mistake. There's a, you know, FDR, this will, I know I'm giving you a long answer. No, this will sum up, this will sum up the problem. In 1940, FDR was running for his third term. He wrote a letter to the democratic convention saying, don't go right. Don't go to the center. 
my left-wing socialist programs are working. The populist, he was, that's why they had to, they created term, limit, term limits for presidents because of him. Right. Because he helped people. And that's been the Democrats' problem. Every time they go to the right, they lose. If they, if they were a really progressive party and they were just like, look, $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, single-payer health care, uh, college tuition for all, cutting the military budget, uh, we're going to do a Green New Deal, they would never lose an election. Yeah. But the corporate Dems, the reason they crush the progressives far more than the Republicans do is because they're a threat to the, the DNC's power structure, which is Chuck Schumer and Perez and Pelosi and Wasserman Schultz and, you know, that's, and Hillary and Obama, and that's who, that's who they are. Yeah. And I think my whole, one of the reasons I started Political Vigilante was the, the left, because, you know, I was arguing with Trump people after the election, and I was just like, oh, well, this is useless. This isn't gonna <laughs> What was your first hint? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, the Confederate flag icon? I don't know. Um, but, like, I realize they're going to, they'll turn on Trump when they realize who he is, when they see that his he's not draining the swamp, he's filling it with corporate guys, and they're going to get screwed again. But I realized the left, and I had to look in the mirror. I'm, I'm a, like, what's my part in this? I have to ask myself that. And I voted for Obama twice. And I worked on his campaign in 08, and I foreclosed on my house in 2010 as a result of his giving the banks hundreds of billions of dollars on top of Bush, and they screwed me out of my home. And I let that slide because I was still sort of like, well, he's better than them. And I didn't want to face the fact that he took us from two wars to seven. He killed thousands of civilians with drone strikes. He gave the banks an unlimited supply of money, didn't prosecute them. He created more foreclosures than prevented, as primarily in African-American and Latino communities. And so, like, I got to get my friends on the left to wake up to this, because they're like, oh, my God, if Hillary was here, we wouldn't have a travel ban. I said, we don't. It's been blocked twice. <laughs> we don't have a travel ban. But he wouldn't be deporting people. Obama deported what? Two million people? Like Yeah. He set the record. And we'd probably have a fucking no fly zone in Syria because that was her policy. <laughs> yes. It's like so I'm trying to get the left to wake up. And the left needs to you know, I have some friends of mine in show business and they're all mad about about Hillary losing and stuff like that. And 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 I realized, you know, many of them $15 an hour doesn't affect them because they've got a job writing for TV or something. So they're getting union writing gig money, which is really good, which comes with health care and a pension. And so single payer and $15 an hour doesn't affect them. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that does affect them is like, you know, defunding Planned Parenthood or gay marriage, which are those are valid things. But that's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> those are the only issues. So. That's the problem with the Democratic Party is there. there's one party in this country. It's a big corporate machine party, and mm -hmm. one side doesn't like gays, and one side does, and that's it. It's one—they're both—they're just two dueling country clubs. 
you know. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. That's a that's a it, that's a really good characterization, actually, of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> how do, so? How do we? I mean, I, I you know, I I think if we knew the answer, we'd be doing it. But how do we wake people up on the left who are you know just regular people who you know don't make fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage, but think that. Obama was awesome and that Hillary would have been great and like that we're being, you know, ridiculous or that we're being purists. What, what, what do we, what can we show them to actually prove to them that these people really are serving corporate interests and they're not serving, you know, the progressive agenda or any kind of a liberal agenda. Facts. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. And I know that sounds crazy and I wasn't saying that to be a wise ass. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Everybody gets caught up in the emotion or the conspiracy or the whatever. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can you repeat the emotion part? Because people keep lambasting me for saying that our movement is an emotional movement. (laughs) (laughs) I think. (laughs) Well, um, I think what you have to do is show them how, like, the things we just talked about. Obama's civilian death numbers, Obama's deportation numbers. I, because I've talked about this numerous times of, of, you know, Obama bailed out the banks, and they go, no, they he was just having to clean up Bush's tarp mess, and I go, no, 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 and I literally I keep an article on my phone (laughs) to send to friends to go read this, you know, watch the documentary Inside Job, and Mm. I think. I stick to the facts of this and, and it's like having lost my house because of Obama yeah. and telling them exactly what happened and how they screwed me over and how they said, we're going to take, Oh, we've got all this, this uh, bailout money. And they, they said, we're, we're putting you in a forbearance and they cut my mortgage payment in half and we're going to restructure your loan. And I said, Oh my God, thank you so much. The system works. And then at the end of the three months, they said, Oh, you don't qualify. And you've been making half payments for three months. So now you're behind. And they did that to me three times. Once when Bush was in office at the end of his term and twice with Obama, and you start spelling out the facts, you know, cause they'll come at you all hysterical. The travel ban's a great, a, a great thing. Well, Obama's, you know, I've, I've people online like look what he's doing against people of color, and I say, yeah, it's awful what Trump is doing against people of color, and look what Obama did. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't deny these facts, and so, and when you start to show them, and then they go, well, what are we supposed to do? I say, well, get real progressives in the Democratic Party, or just find an independent or third party. Yeah, like. I think Sam, what you're doing is like, yeah, I want to. When I see that, I'm like, that's an answer to your question of what <laughs> you do and how do we get people to turn. Like, do it. I'm like, here's this young guy that was trying to become the DNC chair. I love those videos, and you're there. You're sitting a bunch around a bunch of suits. <laughs> I just loved it, man. I was like, see more of that. If we get more people like that, now the the, the hill obviously to climb is the mainstream media is going to go lockstep with the corporate Democrats and slander you and shit like that. But that's, that's how I think. And also turn them to stuff like your show, aggressive progressives, young Turks, humanist report, secular talk. I mean, turn them to those things and go, look, you know, because they think they're watching a half hour of CNN a day is keeping them up to date. (laughs) It isn't. 
and it's that it, that's by design and tell them like don't say, look, you're not an idiot. You're, you, you've been, you, we, we've, we've all been tricked and you got to wake up yeah. and tell them, tell them, like I tell them my wake up story. I tell them how I was in line with what they wanted, you know? And I think that can help people slowly see the light. It took me some time to turn, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I say that like to people a lot. I, I'm the first to admit, like I was, I was in the same boat. I mean, I used to, you know, just kind of check, you know, Twitter and check CNN and check BuzzFeed and just be like, oh yeah, wow, Republicans are really fucked up. But once I started watching the Young Turks and then you know Secular Talk and then I moved on to Jimmy's Show and everything, it 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 opens up your eyes and then you look back at the past, you know, thirty years of the Democratic Party and you're like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, it's been it's been this bad all along. I mean ever since they started taking corporate money in the seventies or the eighties, they've been mm-hmm. slowly regressing into this just Well when they created the super delegates after um what was it, the sixty eight election is when they created the super or seventy two somewhere in there they created yeah, the super delegates like when it was um uh got destroyed by um I'm blanking out his name, got McGovern. destroyed. McGovern, McGovern. Got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he got destroyed by um, Nixon. Nixon, yes. And they were like, oh, well, we can't let a progressive get the nomination ever again. <laughs> you know, we can't let a populist, we can't let this happen. And, you know, I think, true. It's, it's funny you talk about Twitter. And, and again, I go to the facts. I, t- I was just talking to my friend yesterday. He's a very smart guy. I said, I go, Diane Feinstein on her Twitter feed. She's one of my senators. I'm in California. During the Mike Pompeo confirmation was all all these all caps, no torture, Mr. Trump, we say no to your torture. And then I go to, I think it was like cabinetvotes.org or whatever, and mm-hmm. she voted for Mike Pompeo. <laughs> and I tell my friends that and I show them and I say, do you see the level of bullshit here? Mm-hmm. Her Twitter feed is just a bumper sticker. You know, it's like yeah. the, the, the Democrats are like someone with a coexist sticker and a rainbow flag on their Prius and they flip you off in traffic and steal <laughs> your fucking parking spot and then call you a racist when you're like, whoa, what are you doing? That was un- that was rude, you know. So that's the thing. You got to just and and be patient and but keep giving them facts. Keep telling them, hey, watch this. Show this. Did you see this? Because. If they're like the Washington Post, um, you know, we just were talking about it on Aggressive Progressive. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos has a $600 million contract with the CIA. And people, and then they, the Washington Post has democracy dies in the darkness. <laughs> it's, it's theater. And show them that. Show them it's professional wrestling. Show them it's like somebody saying, you know, Pepsi is awful. It rots your teeth. It's got sugar and too much caffeine. But Coca-Cola is a vegan smoothie. Yeah. Like, just keep keep laying the facts and show them and point them to this. And when, because here's the thing: when you learn the tactic, when like I, my brother-in-law, oh, single payers. You know, I like Bernie, but single payers pie in the sky. Really? There's twenty some <laughs> countries in the world that have it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, now you do. You know. Yeah. When they say those things, like, well, a good, another good friend of mine, left-leaning friend, 
um, said, yeah, but Graham, you know, we had to bomb Syria. You saw the videos of the chemical weapon kids. I go, well, first of all, it, did that really happen? But I said, let's say it did. Let's say everything that the media reported happened, that Assad did that. I go, first of all, did regime change work with Iraq and, and Afghanistan? And they always go, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I say, how many videos of civilians that have killed by U.S. drone strikes have you seen? Yeah, no. And they always kind of stop and turn, tilt their head and look at me. I go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the, And I posted this. I said, what, right when the Syria thing happened, I said, the, the, the emotions you felt watching those kids that were victims of chemical weapons is exactly why there are no videos or photos of kids who have been maimed or killed by our bombs on the mainstream. Right. Because it's horrific. Or, and... or Yemen. Or, or what Yemen. about Yemen? We're not seeing any children from Yemen. Yeah, that our allies are fucking bombing, you know, with cluster bombs and, you know, our Saudi Arabian allies. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing any of that? This Mosul airstrike Pentagon announcement, did that announcement from the Pentagon come with video of the families no, and the people not. that we killed? Of course not. And you start showing people that, they just can't argue with these, these pure facts. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they start waking up. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough road to climb, but uh, you know we're we're, we're 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 all doing our part to try to to try to wake up the left. I think, you know, fortunately for us, Bernie did a you know went a long way towards galvanizing the left and waking them up to how corrupt the party really is. But there's a lot of work still to be done. I think. Yeah, let them know about the DNC lawsuit that the mainstream media oh, yeah. won't cover. We we had uh, Jared on uh, last week. Actually, we interviewed him for about oh. 45 minutes. He's great. Um, tell them about Jared. Tell them about, you know, tell them about Flint. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but the, but the way they talk about the DNC lawsuit in, in, in the mainstream media, they, they, they act like, oh, it's like, you know, it's just frivolous. It's ridiculous. I mean, when you actually read the quotes from the DNC lawyer, it's like, it, it's insane <laughs> that the fucking arrogance that these people have. And they, you know, they all think like that. It's just. Yeah. Well, they, well, that's the thing. They've gotten away with it. Yeah. They've been, they, they, they court, of course. Because look, the, look at the look at the media did. They wanted Hillary. They got Hillary. The media made sure it was clear. Yeah. The media. I saw them cut away from a Bernie Sanders speech to go to an empty podium where Trump was going to speak. <laughs> right. Where you're speaking to? I think he was actually talking to like twenty thousand people too. Bernie yeah. was that that particular time. I remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they the the burn bro thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they, it's like my girlfriend turned me on to Bernie. <laughs> 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 I, I both, I've done I've done maybe three or four live Jimmy Dore shows. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, the number of women that are there of all right. age groups—not just you know they they like saying all oh, these f millennial feminists just don't get it or whatever. Like women in their sixties and seventies who were like, "No way with the DNC." I'm Bernie all the way. Like yeah. of all different ethnicities and backgrounds, and I'm just like, "Wow!" And they just fed you that. It's just a bunch of angry guys in their 20s, you know, throwing chairs at Bernie rallies or whatever. Like they just push this agenda and you see how they do it. You see the little subtle sleight of hand, you know, Yeah. you see just the, the, the little the headline. And now you understand, too. So this in this Internet age, the headline. They might get the facts right in the body of the story, but they know most people aren't going to read it. Yeah, no, you know, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so many of the Russia stories get reported as, you know, 
this crazy, you know, oh my god, the, you know, the server, blah, 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 and then small print, well, there was no actual, you know, connection between, it, it's just, they, they have no, they, they know that people only read headlines, so they sensationalize the headlines as much as possible, and then, if anyone complains, they say, oh, no, well, the fact is in the text, you can see, we said, you know, yeah. no actual confirmation, but it doesn't fucking matter, because nobody reads the articles anymore, they just, you know, scroll through Twitter and see the headline. Like they might as well just put, you know, just naked people on the, and you know what I mean? Just, just, just <laughs> cut the nonsense and just go sex farm, Russia, sex farm, you know, and just like. Well, you joke, but you know, in all honesty, you said, tell the truth, right? Well, that's all I've been doing. That's all this podcast has been doing. And that's all a lot of us have been doing. And it's not enough to get people to get their heads out of their ass. And you're right. It's because people literally just want that click that that sensation that ooh i participated by reading that article and you know what at this point you may as well put russia 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 a half naked girl bent over a freaking motorcycle or something <laughs> just for the sake of clickbait and then have like a nice long like peer reviewed you know mla <laughs> format with sources citations and like i don't know jimmy Dore ranting and raving in the background because <laughs> That seems to be the only way to get through to people nowadays. And it frustrates me on a personal level because it's like, you know, you said you had your coming to Jesus moment, you know, several years ago. Well, mine happened too, right because of the government shutdown. I'm like, how is everybody not marching in the streets that their government shut down as a protest against the Affordable Care Act, which, oh, by the way, actually increased the number of people who are insured, if nothing else. I mean, I get that there's negatives to it, and I'm not – you know, supporting it over universal healthcare, for instance, but like it's better than dog you know, shit. But it's you know. right. Yeah, it is. I mean, but it basically, is. the government shut down the gov or the the Republicans shut down the government for the sole and express purpose because that poor, angry, you know, possibly good black man. Oh no, that guy was trying to help people. So we can't have that. Let's shut down the government. Like, are you kidding me? How is that in of itself not enough? And then never mind the 2016 general election where a dude who has admittedly, like, sexually assaulted women, mocked a disabled person, uh, insulted Gold Star families, which for those of you who don't know what that means, that means families who have had an active duty death in their family. Not, not like a retired person died of natural causes. I mean, that person went to war, fought, and then died for their country, and the surviving members are Gold Star. He made fun of them. And in the same breath, supported our troops. How the hell? How the hell did he make it past the election, past that moment, past and, anything? And they still if couldn't that's beat that enough, idiot. That's, that's like if that if, if that's not enough truth, I I honestly don't know what it'll take to wake people up. And people are like, well, just burn it down. I'm like, okay, I I will see your violent revolution, and I will raise you. Which one of you pussies is actually going to get up and do it? <laughs> seriously yeah. you go to the protests you get beaten up you get you run away from the cops you're afraid of cops granted with good reason they do <laughs> yeah, kill well, people but i mean pretty good reason. that's part of it like if you're going to be revolutionary burn it all down that means you could get killed in the process and people aren't willing to lay their lives down for this they're not willing to invest themselves in the simple things like canvassing door knocking sharing you know people just want to be on twitter and say I participated. It's 
frustrating. Yeah, that's definitely something we have to work to to so, fix. Also. Sorry for ranting there for a second. <laughs> no, man, it's a, it's a it's a great point. Like, <laughs> it's a great point. Like, what I I I come to grips with that frustration a lot myself, and some of it I think is is you know. American apathy because we have this easy life and have and you know Flint is just one little town and it doesn't affect me you know like and I think so there's that and I think part of it is also by design to keep everybody distracted and you got to work full time to you know both parents got to work or you got to have two jobs or whatever so people don't have the time to put into it so part of it is the system and then part of it is just Americans really Having traveled the world, having gone to Iraq and Afghanistan, Americans don't want to face the reality of what the rest of the world is like and how we have participated in making it that way mm-hmm. for worse more than better. And I, I just don't like I, I think I just Americans, they don't you know, they don't want to see how the sausage is made. They just don't. Well, you that know? or it goes back to your previous point, which is people don't really they're they're they have to be drawn in by something that is visually or something enticing, something that just grabs your attention. So, you know, and, and be told what to do. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm in the military, so I'm used to being told what to do. That's not the issue, but it's like, you know. Having a direction, you know, that really does help a lot of people because a lot of people who volunteered for us and various other organizations, they're like, well, what do you want me to do? And it seems like if you don't give them a black and white point for point, you know, bulleted laundry list of this is step one through step 26 of what I want you to do, they don't do it. So how do you build a movement like that? All right, now we're going to protest. Now now we're going to turn right and give the middle finger. Okay, now we're going to turn left again and give the middle finger to the cops. Okay, now we're going to shield our faces. Okay, and put them back down. With tear gas and (laughs) other things. Like, it's it's a great point, and I think it 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 it's that thing that I think everyone is sort of searching for is how they. I think a lot of people look at Bernie, right? He galvanized these people. He took no corporate money. You know, he raised hundreds of millions of dollars off of 27 bucks a piece. And he had tens of thousands of people at his rallies and um, they crushed him. So to me, I feel like, well, they didn't crush him, but they definitely beat him. I mean, they, they, they cheated. They cheated him for sure. For sure. So I think what you're asking Sam is, or what you're saying and my, what it seems like, we just need, but he wasn't willing to run as an independent. You know, he was going to stay within the, he's, a, although he is an independent, he just likes, I think he likes being put on, you know, whatever, the committees and shit like that. But somebody, be it Bernie or someone, has to just say, I'm running as an independent and get a groundswell of people around them and have a real charismatic, forceful plan, as you say. I think that's what, that's what you need. You need someone to just, because if you look at how Trump, I could see through his nonsense in about 10 seconds, but he did have a clear plan. Mm -hmm. I understand why people went to him because the Democrats didn't have one. They had, I'm with her. (laughs) Right. It was like, well, I'm with Tulsi in a heartbeat. I mean, 
or Nina. Yeah, but or... but she, she's not stupid enough to use that as his campaign slogan. She would... Well, now she can't use it. You know what? Make she, America she would be, Great Again you know, I'm with would have you been a or perfect like campaign that. slogan. Make America Great Again is a wonderful slogan used by an absolute moron. It's yeah. not that great. I mean, what's his name? Reagan used Make America Great. He literally just added a word to somebody else's work. Yes, <laughs> and it, and the it guy's such work. a scam artist. That doesn't make it any oh less effective in a country that focuses so much on patriotism, whether it's false or real. It's effective on the poorly educated. That's why he loves them. Yeah. I, and I think but, but to your point, Graham, and I, 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 I want to have a little bit of a debate on this, but sure. or we can move on to another question if it gets too heated. It's not so much that I disagree with that there should be an independent movement. It's that legislatively, uh, among most of our states, it isn't feasible because at the end of the day, the vetting process for those signatures and those petitions go through the Board of Elections, which is always comprised of 50% Republicans and 50% Democrats. And then in my own state of Ohio, the Buckeye State, they actually denied at the 11th hour third-party candidates from being able to run for office at any level, be it mayor, school board, senator, congress, what have you, let alone president. They actually denied. Now, they got sued, and they lost, and they had to restore it. But guess what? It was past the primary. So, oops, third parties couldn't run. That's the bullshit they would pull on independence. Now, I'll give you another example. Dude ran for uh, governor as an independent. He needed 20,000 signatures, and you're allowed to submit up to three times as many. So he, this guy somehow pulled off 60,000 American wow. voting age ballot signatures on this petition, submitted them. I mean, hundreds of pounds worth of paper and ink to the Board of Elections. Guess what they did? They threw out 40,000 plus one minimum signatures. So that guy could not get on the ballot. Now you want to fight as an independent. Absolutely, I agree, but it's just not realistic. Well, say you get all those signatures, right? You get on it, they'll never let you in the debates. And they'll never put you on TV. Well, There's that too. Yeah, I you know, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't deny any of that. It's 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 a real legitimate cluster. cluster. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's it's a blockade. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's, right. it's a, the two parties are blocking everything. You're 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 there's there's nothing to debate just cuz you're right. It's, <laughs> it's a fact. Well, it's, but I, I think well, but, Graham, I think to your point, uh, you know, it would it's going to take somebody like Bernie who has such a an actual base to of his own to do it because if he doesn't do it, uh, you know, there's nobody right now with that kind of popular support who true. could mount a candidacy who would actually. I think I think if Bernie had ran on the green ticket with Jill Stein like she was trying to get him to do, I, you could have seen a thirty 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 election. Like, uh, it's very feasible that you could have seen that. Cause and again, I, to that point, it wouldn't have been – I agree Bernie can do it. That That is not the part that I'm arguing with. The part that I do want to argue, though, is if Bernie does it alone and doesn't give that down-ballot support, which he didn't do. He did not do that in the primary. He did. He endorsed, like, four people out of the hundreds or the thousands that were running. There was only about four worthwhile in that, in that group. Yeah. Well, I was running at that time, too, and I, I haven't changed my platform any. My point is – um, and fine, I was unknown then, but that's yeah. also not the point. But you were also running against one of his surrogates, Sam. No, I <laughs> wasn't. I was running as state representative. Oh, I thought you were talking about Yeah. No, and, but the, the fundamental difference between, like, yes, Bernie can do it, absolutely, but he needs to bring everybody else along with him. I mean, that's that's kind of what our voice is doing. I mean, I say kind of, but that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to leverage that support so that 
one organization, one umbrella organization partnering with all the other ones can uplift an entire generation of new candidates. And if we're going to have an independent movement, then that means we have to run independently however we can get onto a ballot, meaning if we run as Republicans, Democrats, actual independents, or uh, Green or whatever party, so long as we have a support structure that is outside of those realms, pushing everybody forward, we can do it. So to that end, I agree, and that would be the way to do it. I, I'd like to see it. I, I say, I mean, like there's an organization that I, um, I support wholeheartedly, which is the Open Primaries organization, um, and they're trying to uh, break the, you know, the the blockade at the primary mm-hmm. level because right. all of these things these two parties do, like the Democrats didn't let a, uh, what was it a million independents vote in the New York primary? Yeah, no, they don't let um, any. Where I, I live, me and Adrian don't live in New York. They they totally yeah. close off. Not only do they not let independents vote, you have to register as a Democrat some crazy amount, like six eight months in advance to even vote in that election. Wait, and it wow. has to be the previous calendar year. Which is so fun. Yeah. It's it's insane. It's it's, so it's clearly designed to suppress. They can, it was they can complain the all they want debate. about. Yeah, they can complain all they Our want deadline. about about you know was, voter suppression on the right, but they that's exactly what they're doing. They know. do that same in the primary. I think you know, like uh, what I would like to see, you know, Sam, if you if there is this umbrella thing that you're talking about, I'm down. I guess I, let me make this point. I'm down with any t- I just want to see progressives get yeah. in there. I want right. to see however they can do it. And if it's this umbrella way that you're talking about, man, I'm down. If there's if it's like Bernie taking a bunch of other powerful people from the Democratic Party with him mm-hmm. and and running third party or just flat out independent or merging with the Greens or something, I'm all for it. I don't know what it looks like exactly. I just know that, and yeah, there's this blockade there, but I also am like, well, then how do we, how do we break it? Do we circumvent it? Do we just overrun it? Do we go from within? I don't know the answer to that because if they're willing to throw away 40,000 in one signatures, then <laughs> what else are they willing to do? And see, you- and that that's the question. It's not so much which one is the right answer. It's how do we make sure all of them succeed in working together, not against each other. Because what I've noticed is, say you have the Justice Democrats, right? And brand new Congress. Now, granted, they actually merged, but that still means our revolution is trying to vet and endorse candidates. And that still means, like, the progressive independent movement is trying to vet their candidates. And all these other organizations are trying to do the same thing. What they should be doing is saying, all right, we'll vet our candidates, everybody supports those, and we'll vet candidates up or down the ballot and whoever gets the nom, whoever gets the nod, is who we support. That's what our voice is trying to do, bring that conversation to the table. Now, not to just keep plugging our voice. Specifically, Dem exit is a valid strategy. Dem enter is a valid strategy. Third parties, independent, burn it down, burn it up. It does not matter what strategy we utilize, so long as we aren't confronting each other and trying to steal from each other. Because fundamentally, right, the Dem exit people are like, well, if you're not Dem exit, then you're not a real progressive. So join us. And then some do. And that pulls away from the Dem enter group, which is like, or we can infiltrate something that already exists, strangle them from within, pull their guts out, and then step in on their cold corpses and take over. <laughs> Metaphorically, That was a little graphic. I, I apologize. You might want to edit that. Nah, I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> point being, point being, 
then they drag somebody else into it. We don't need to drag each other anywhere. We just want to find out. It's like, you know what? I really do like the Dem Exit over Dem Enter, but you know what? I see that Dem Enter has merits because guess what? In warfare, and hello, veteran speaking, I guess, in warfare, you don't just fight one way. You're like, gee, I think I should line up in these three nice rows and then call, ready up, aim, fire. And then that's how I win my battle. No, you freaking shoot artillery. You bomb them with aircraft. You shell the shores. You infiltrate. You spy. You assassinate leaders and generals. Like, you don't just march in lockstep yeah, singing, like an, we will kill you. And I think we, we've come basically just all and all the above approach seems to be the, the, yeah. the best. Um, Sorry. No, you're, you're good. Um, I, I do want to ask you, though, because uh, you did mention it. So you've done, it's, it's on Wikipedia, five USO tours, but is that is that still an accurate number? It's actually seven. I've seven. gone to okay. a- Afghanistan three times and Iraq three times and uh, Kuwait. The three Iraq tours, we also went to Kuwait, but then I just did a separate Kuwait oh, tour. Okay. So it's been seven uh, war zone tours, and then I've done some bases in the States, too. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome, man. You, Are you going to be at Wright-Patterson anytime soon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Is that where you're stationed? That's where I'm currently at. I'll be, I'll be sure to be on orders or at least show up. <laughs> <laughs> cool. If I get out there, that'd be awesome. So do you have any uh, like interesting stuff? I'm sure you have some interesting stories from, from your time out there. Oh, boy. It's... Um... Well, there was, I mean, there's, I'll tell it, you know, the first time I went there in 04 to Afghanistan was, and I, my the, the first documentary, I, uh, Afghanistan was about me going over there. And I, I, I had no experience, like I don't come from a military family or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I don't really, I had little to no experience with the military at all, other than whatever movies or TV. So you know, I had some uncles that fought in World War II, but I didn't know them. They did, you know, one was still alive, but he did he never talked about it. Um, and so the first time I went there, I was like, holy shit, like, this is for real. We get to this base, uh, Salerno, near the Pakistan border, and, you know, you're crazy jet lag. You fly, you know, you fly for 17 hours. It's an 11-hour time difference. Like, you're just out of it. And... And they're like, you had the first show I ever did was outside. It's in the documentary. Uh, and there's um, a lightning storm. And they, the, 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 the soldiers and the Marines called it rocket o'clock because they're like, that's when the Taliban would Jesus. shoot rockets at the base. And so I was going to go. I was like, so I'm going on stage. I'm going to stand on the stage. <laughs> like. <laughs> I've got like a bright blue shirt on or so I don't know. I think I had like a cub shirt or something. And I'm just like, uh, and then there was a Cobra attack helicopter, like doing perimeter and a lightning storm starting and everyone has a weapon. Like I wasn't you like I, my parents are, my dad was a college professor. Like we didn't hunt. We didn't ever had guns. I, so I wasn't, a, I wasn't used to guns and everyone's well, I'm in a forward operating base. You know, I'm in a yeah. fire base. So it's, everyone's got a gun. And I was like, Holy shit. And, um, and then the subsequent tours, I was sort of more used to it, but like the first helicopter, we were on a black Hawk, they shot at something. Um, and then I was in a firefight and a black Hawk in 06. Um, that was nuts. Jesus. That was my second tour, and I just thought, oh, I remember thinking there was like spent shells. I was like 
three, four feet from the gunner, and he, I think it's probably a 60 caliber machine gun, and he's just unloading, and there's spent shells bouncing off my face, and they're just on the floor like, like peanuts at a sports bar or something. Like they're just, and we were, you know, flying doors open, and a flare got released, and I didn't find out till a month later that those are countermeasures. <laughs> that um, uh, Sam probably knows what this is, but anyone listening doesn't. So when a, a helicopter is targeted it senses, I guess, that it's targeted by a rocket, so it releases a countermeasure to distract. Oh, holy shit. So, so they had targeted you with a rocket, the helicopter? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well, yeah, they're in a war zone. That's no, what I know. fast flares are there for. They're not, oh my God. they're not for safety. I mean, well, I mean, they're not for, like, seeing in the dark. They're for, uh, what they do is they intercept uh, heat-seeking rockets because flares mm, burn at whatever sense, degree yeah. Celsius, and it's hotter than an engine. So you have several dozen or score uh, chaff flares launching out the back of the helicopter, hoping, hoping, mind you, not guaranteed, but hoping that, that the rocket the hits rocket. one of those instead. Jesus. Yeah. So April 27, 2006, I was almost blown out of the sky after doing a comedy show the night before. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're probably glad yeah. to not know that until after the fact, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I would have liked. Um, but then, I don't know, then the, the you know, there was a, there was, I was in Iraq with a, 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 a comic, a good friend of mine, Scott Kennedy. Um, he passed away a couple years ago, but he went over there like 50 times. He was an amazing wow. dude, and he set up his own tours. And his whole thing was, we're only going to small fire bases. We did some big bases, obviously, but his, you know, he was like, we're going to the small fire bases where they have nothing. And um, one time we were set to do, and we would do three or four shows in a day. And this was a Thanksgiving of 07, my first time in Iraq. And so the surge was happening. So there was just, it was, it was intense over there. And on that trip, we were set to go early in the morning. We were in Baghdad uh, getting ready to fly. And we got the word that this base we were going to had um, lost two people the night before in a firefight. So obviously there's no, there's no show or whatever. And I remember sitting there feeling um, like I felt stupid. I was like, what am I doing? You know, like there's, you know, a couple families just got the worst news ever. Sam talked about the gold star families and what that, like, I can't even begin to know what he has to go through. And I felt like this is dumb. I'm just a stupid comedian. I'm like a birthday clown. Like this is, this is not, I felt, I felt like such an idiot, you know? And, and, and Scott had been over there. Like he was going there once a month. He, at that point, he'd probably gone 25, 30 times. And he said, Graham, um, a, a commander said to me once that every time the comedy shows come through, the suicide rate drops. And so we're saving lives. This is our mission. He goes, I'll find other bases for us to do today. This base, I will come back here seven, eight months from now um, to go to that base. But this is our job. This is what we're here to do. And I was like, okay. And... You know, I at that point that was my fourth tour over there, and so he already had twenty or thirty. So he, I'll never forget that moment, and then just sort of like, all right, got it, and just sort of like pull my shit together, let's go. And all of the comedy shows, <clears throat> the 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 soldiers, and the Marines, and the airmen would come up to you, and there's some Navy out there, but they'd come up to you, and you realize you were more than just an entertainer. It wasn't just the show. 
because you were civilian, you weren't military, you weren't a journalist, they felt that they could talk to you. And then there was always, we always talked about it, we called it the second show, but then was just hanging out with them and they'd start confiding in you. And you were sort of like a therapist. <laughs> and, and you were also kind of like a, a reporter in that you would get home and talk about it to everybody back home who was like, what the hell was this like? What the hell is a, is a fire base like? So, um, it was pretty, you had so many intense experiences like that going over there that just, I'll, I'll never, you know, they'll stay with me forever. They were, they were pretty amazing. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I was always wondering how do people sign up for and get selected for that kind of process? I mean, you are a civilian going to a combat zone of all places you didn't go through basic training you don't know how to fire weapons the uso the uso probably organizes that right well yeah it's a great question so there's several ways to go so um i went through the uso one time i went through armed forces entertainment so that's like a submission process where you would send your you know a clip of your act and a resume and stuff like that that helps but then my friend Scott Kennedy, he set up tours. He was very proactive with the military. So he got a contract from them and he handled everything then. He would um so he would pick you and you know he he knew the type of comic that needed to go over there and it's pretty it's pretty a thin thin pool if you think about the number of professional working comics in America is probably eight, seven, eight hundred. Mm. And then out of that number, those who a, are willing to go into a war zone and get shot at and have the type of act that would work. Um, then the number gets real small. So you're talking about there's a hundred comics. Maybe, I don't know. I don't have right. any like statistics sort of my guess, but so in that case, when when you had and there was another comic, um, this guy Mike Burton that had set a private tour. So that I just knew those guys, and they were like, "Do you want to go over there?" And then, you know, I'd have to submit my, and then you know, you'd go through the DOD would do a clearance on you hmm. to make sure that I wasn't Russian, <laughs> uh, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so then you would just go over there and like and like in the instance of Scott, so he did the whole thing. So he would just get the budget from the military and then Scott would buy your plane ticket and Scott would handle all that other stuff. And he would set up, you know, he had a person there uh, in Iraq that would then help coordinate all the bases we were going to and would keep track of like which bases just got a show, which haven't had one in a while and all of that. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome because, I mean, honestly... Like, that is, I wish I had a musical talent or a comical skill or something, you know, because if you can't, if you don't get deployed and you want to get deployed, right, the only other thing you can do for your brothers over there is support them. You can get, you can make sure they make it home in one piece. Like, I was a UDM for two years, and occasionally we'd get, like, messages from home, and, like, we needed to get it to our people, and vice versa. And it's like, uh, you know, Sergeant Snuffy, um, he didn't get his whatever. Uh, we need to make sure he gets his whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's only so much you can do. And when when there's something that you can finally do, you know, when if you're a comic or a musician or a band and you step up and go out there and do it like that's we, we really appreciate that as a branch. I mean, I know I can't speak for everybody in the military, but 
I'm pretty sure it's a consensus out there. And like even going to the um, overseas spaces, like uh, when I was stationed in Okinawa, we had something too, like a USO tour. And, you know, celebrities would come out, musicians would come out, you know, like country music or, you know, sometimes it was like, I think Linkin Park was there the year before I went there or something, you know? That's cool. So like they do that for the GIs out there. And that's awesome because a lot of those people, that's the first time they've ever been, let alone out of the country, away from their family. You know what I'm saying? Because remember, most Americans, they never veer more than 50 miles away from their home where they're born. So like this bubble. And so, yeah, having any sort of uh, just connection with reality or home or just what they're leaving behind. I mean, granted, most deployments uh, in the Air Force are only six months. You know, armies, I think, are still going up to a year. So, I mean, could you imagine living in a war zone for a year, let alone six oh, months? I, I mean, most people can't do a job that long. It's, it's, you know, that was the thing I would always do. I guess the tours would be maybe two weeks. Hmm. And, you know, but we're sleeping in tents, we're in cots, we're eating in, you know, the, the mess halls and stuff, like we're showering in the tents, like we're, we're living the way, so you get a feel for it, you know, obviously, you know, you, I'll, I will never know what it's like to be deployed and, and be in combat or anything like that, but you get a little taste of it, and it was like, oh my goodness, you had such an appreciation, and like my family would always be freaking out. Well, sure. technically, they had a good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ma, guess what? <laughs> yeah, I try to tell my mom those stories. But um, uh, but the, I would tell my family when they were like, oh, my, thank God you're home. I go, now imagine if I was actually in the service and I was gone for up to a year. Yeah. yeah. I say, just, I go, think about the what the families go through. Yeah. So, Graham, I want to ask you, why is there such a prevailing narrative that the left doesn't care about the troops? Because it's clearly bullshit. I mean, I, I would I would argue that the left care, well, not, you know, the progressives care more about the troops than people who are trying to send them into, you know, meaningless wars. Why do you think that narrative is so prevalent and, and how can we kind of combat that narrative? It's one of the reasons I started going over there. Yeah. Because I was like... uh I'm, I'm, you know, very left. <laughs> and so I, I no one's going to say I don't care and no one can accuse me of, of not, you know, they, they just can't, they can't, they can't say that. So that narrative is part of the whole, the whole team narrative. Like we're just conditioned and it's by design for us all to be on a team because if we all got together and went, Oh, the 1%, the corporate state is screwing us all. If we all got together, you know, I bet you if you took, if you, I saw this amazing documentary when uh, I had earbuds at the Napa Film Festival. There was this um, blues dude, black, black man, blues singer that became friends with a Klan member. And it's this really compelling documentary. And one of the things in there is like, if you took the, the like, you know, white, you know, not all, but some of them are just angry and mad and nuts. But if you took the poor white person that like voted for Trump and somebody from the poor inner city, you know, and you sat them down and you got all most Americans together, especially in the middle class and the poor in the middle class, you'd go, you know what? We're all getting screwed by the powers that be one way or another. And they want us divided. They want us to go, oh, Republicans are all 
Bible-thumping gun nuts, and the left hates the military. The left is a mm. bunch of godless hippies in California who just want medical marijuana, and they hate the troops. Like, it's just part of the—they the, just want us doing that. Because if we all got together, then it wouldn't matter if they threw away 41,000 signatures. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We wouldn't have 100 million people staying home on Election Day. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Now, granted, the, 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 but that's part of it. I think they want it. They just want to play that. We all have to pick this team. Well, I'm from Chicago, right? So that I'm I'm Irish. So I got. I guess I'm a Catholic. I'm a Democrat, and I'm a Cub fan, right? Yeah. So that's the teams I have to pick, you know. And it's like, no, that's what we're seeing getting torn down, and that's what the power elite is clinging on to is these these institutions of power that have been used to repress everybody are being exposed and they're fighting tooth and nail to keep them. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned earbuds. I, 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 you know, you've been super generous through your time. I'm going to let you go. I just want to ask you real quick about earbuds. Cause I, uh, uh, I watched it the other night and I, I was really blown away. Like I, it was, it, it was tremendous. And it like really just, it really speaks to what podcasting as a medium does and like why people feel the way they do about them and how, why, um, so, you know, I just wanted to ask what motivated you to make the documentary? Uh, and did you did you expect it to turn out the way it did in terms of how emotional it ended up being in the end? Uh, and like what did you what did it look like when you set out to make it versus what it actually ended up as? Well, that's the most, you know, unique thing about doing a documentary with a scripted film. I, I know. You know. I'm not minimizing the job of an editor in a scripted film. It's a, it's a, an editor is a skilled position, but you have a script there and you're just choosing between takes and, and camera angles. But I know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll cut out a scene or trim it down from the script, but a documentary, you're writing the story in the edit room. So we set out to do it because, you know, uh, Chris Mancini, my co-host on comedy film nerds, and along with Dave Anthony, who you've had on your show, uh, Dave came to Chris and I and said, why don't we try doing a podcast festival? And so we became sort of big in the podcast world or, or working a lot in it. And as a guy that's been a stand-up comic for a long time, and I did a couple, I hosted some game shows and I've done all this other media. I never had people react the way the podcast fan did, like sending me the email saying, oh my God, your podcast got me through a tough time. And I, you know, obviously I'm, the majority of the comedians I interviewed in earbuds are people I've known for a long time. And I knew their stories. I knew about Todd glass, you know, mm -hmm. uh, coming out of the closet and I knew about some of the other people and what they'd gone through. And so I wanted to talk to them. So I knew we'd have kind of a cool, we'd get some cool stuff and hear about podcasting. But I what the thing that I did not know was the number of people that were going to start talking about mental illness and how podcasting helped them with that. And so what we did, we set up um, two in LA, uh, one in New York, one in Chicago, and one in Sydney, Australia, fan interviews, basically. Well, we just said, come to this theater or comedy club between like Saturday from 12 to five. And if you're a podcast fan, we'll do like a 10, 15 minute interview with you. And you know, we had some amazing people show up. Like there's a woman in the documentary in Sydney, Australia, whom I've never met. And she told the story of, you know, being in an abusive relationship and, and having PTSD 
from that and listening to podcasts help her kind of rebuild her personality because it was so uh, literally and figuratively beaten down. And then the people talking about, oh, I struggled with mental illness. And like, I had some interviews set up. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I knew I was going to interview Paul Gilmartin because he does his podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour. And I wanted to talk about that. Just sort of like, here's how, what, you know, a podcast can help. But I really didn't know that was going to be the theme and, and how emotional that was going to be, that process of A, re- spitting, sitting there recording it and then pit it, putting it together in the edit room and Chris and I kind of writing out the sort of outline and script, if you will. That's the thing that I didn't expect going into it that changed. And then we were like, oh, wow, we have a really, we have a really powerful movie. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, and, and you know, I won't spoil it, but there's this great, great story of of uh, coordinating through the podcast to actually help somebody survive a, a pretty harrowing situation so mm-hmm. it, it's 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 really it was very surprisingly moving I, I expected much like you described it when you set out to be just kind of a because you know i love podcasts i like you know sure. I listen to marin and all those so it's like oh great it'll be fun it'll just be interviews with all the kind of the podcast but no it was like crazy how many people connect to it on a level much deeper than than you would think so it, it's really worth a watch for sure well thanks man you know um it's available at comedyfilmnerds.com as a download and a dvd and um uh, you know the the pro the thing that i we said in the in one of the trailers is you know what do um a Japanese housewife, an Australian miner, uh, a drill instructor for the U.S. Army, and a woman that you know runs a gymnastic school, and a guy that's a decorative painter in the capital. What if, what could they possibly have in common? And it's podcasting. And I think going through that process, and also then seeing the you know to tie it into what we've been talking about on this show, of like, and the you know coming off of the election and deciding to do my own you know, YouTube channel, that, that process of making earbuds helped me kind of go, you know, everyone on paper is so different and we don't, you know, on online, we're all fighting and not getting along, but really everybody kind of wants the same thing. And why can't we have, you know, uh, leaders, politicians that are doing all these things. So that's one of the things I learned from podcasting and doing the documentary that's made me go, Oh wow! Maybe there's an opportunity to unite everybody in the way that Sam is talking about, and get everybody to sort of wake up. There's one percent of the population is really rich, and they're screwing everybody over. And we just need to get them to kind of stop being dicks, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just so it's it's the the big juggle of how do we get people to care and how do we give people focus for their energies? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Graham, where can, uh, do you have any, any dates coming up or where can people find you? Uh, if they just go to GrahamElwood.com, all my tour dates are there. I don't have a lot of tour dates, but I'm performing in LA and I'm, um, if you go to GrahamElwood.com, you can get earbuds there. You can get my podcast comedy film nerds. You can follow me on Twitter. You can do my Patreon for my YouTube page. It's all, everything I'm doing is at GrahamElwood.com. Awesome. Awesome. You know, you've been super generous with your time. I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it was great, great interview, great time talking to you. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, hope to talk to you soon. Well, if any of you guys are ever in LA, let me know. I'll, I'll have you on 
I don't quite have the setup yet to do uh, an interview for Political Vigilante because I just record <laughs> the show on my iPhone. But if any of you guys come out, I can try to figure it out. And well, I have my, I have my own Zoom recorder, so if we do come out, I'll bring that out with us. And I, for sure. <laughs> we'll sort that all out. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Graham. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. All righty. So we're uh, joined today on the podcast by Alexis Edelstein. He's the founder of Bernie Kratz of California. Uh, Alexis, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Great. So uh, you were out in California at the convention, as was Sam. Um, so, you know, just kind of give us a, a brief rundown of what actually happened there, because uh, there was, it seemed like a lot of shady stuff going on and, uh, I don't feel like anyone's really doing any kind of reporting on it. So just give us your on the ground take of what you saw while you were, while you were out there. Sure. Uh, before I do that, do the uh, listeners have an idea of what we're talking about? Should I give a little bit no, more yeah, give, give a, the give convention? A, give a background and all that. Cause we haven't really talked about it yet. Perfect. So this last weekend up in Sacramento, we have the California democratic party state convention. Um, and it's a convention in which it, this time around, it's every two years, but this time around, we do the election of the new leadership. And that includes the chair, the vice chairs, um, the secretary, and the controller. Um, so we went up there. It was in Sacramento. Um, the elections took place on Saturday. And the people voting, it's not open for everybody. So you can't just like show up and say, hey, I, wa I want to come in and vote. Um, there's about 3,200 people that can vote within the state, um, and that's broken up into about thirds. One third comes from the elected officials. So let's say you're the governor, let's say you're, you're the senator, um, an assembly person, a mayor, whatever it may be, you have a vote. If you have a high enough office, you have additional votes that you can give out. So let's say I'm the governor and I have an additional 30 votes I can give out. So I can go to my employees and tell them, hey guys, um, I'm gonna make you a delegate that you have to vote the way I tell you to vote. So some of the elected officials would actually do that. Some of them let their, uh, their appointed delegates vote the way they wanted to. Um, another third comes from the uh, county committees around the state. So um, every county has their own democratic committee, kind of like a democratic club. They all, they all kind of run by their own different rules. And depending on the population of that county, that's how they get um, delegates allocated. So there's about another 1,100 that come out of there. The last 1,100, so the last third um, are called ADEMs, and so that's an assembly uh, delegate. And those were elected in January of this year. Um, there's 80 assembly districts in California. Each assembly district will get 14 delegates, seven male and seven female. The elections take place in January, as I mentioned, and they're done as in a caucus kind of a, a framework. So what happens is uh, there's a location locally you show up. Uh, you can meet the candidates, you walk in within a certain time frame, and, uh, and you can vote. Um, so that was in January, and what we actually did was, as a, as a group, um, Bernie Kratz of California included, but also the rest of the, uh, the Bernie Kratz movement, so to speak, in California, we organized ahead of time to make sure that we could maximize the amount of delegates that we could win from that ADEM election. 
Um, so what we did was we set up slates, we got the vote out, we told people about the election that was taking place because no one knows about this election. It's very, you know, hush hush. No one even knows these things take place. And in some places we actually quadruple the voter turnout. We ended up winning about 60% of those uh, uh, delegate seats in January. And it made um, a splash really across the party, even at a national level. Uh, Bernie and Jane Sanders spoke about it on, uh, on mainstream media. And, uh, and we got some, some attention because of that. So that's how everybody gets a delegate spot. And so fast forward to Sacramento last week. And so there's about 32, 3,300 delegates that can show up to vote. Um, about 3,000 showed up. Don't really know what happened to some of the other ones that, that didn't show up. Um, but, you know, uh, so about 3,000 showed up. And the main election was actually the chair race. So in the chair race, we had um, a race between actually three candidates, but two major candidates. And they were looking to replace Burton, who'd been uh, the chair for, I think, over eight years now. Um, on one hand, we had Eric Bauman, and Eric's been a, a longtime party insider. He was actually, or he is actually, the chair of the Los Angeles uh, County um, Democrats over here, so the, the Central Committee. And the, his challenger was Kimberly Ellis, who uh, was running the, um, uh, the, camp, the, the program out here in California uh, to encourage women to come into the Democratic Party. Both had actually been Clinton supporters um, back in, in November, back during the primaries last time around. However, Kimberly is very progressive. Um, she is, you know, for banning fracking. Uh, he, from the get-go, she was saying this. She was for health care for all, uh, free education, um, and really reforming the party as a whole. And we can get into some of those details a little bit later on. But the party is very restrictive, and the rules are very uh, opaque. Um, and what she did early on was she actually reached out to the Bernie community. She brought into her campaign uh, a couple of people uh, that were from uh, the Bernie community, and then she brought in um, a lot of other a lot of other ones, including myself, into some of the roundtables that they would put on. So they they really made it inclusive. Uh, we all got a chance to meet her. She's a, she's an amazing person, an amazing leader, and um, and I. I think I, if I say 95, 97% of the, the Bernie Kratz in, in California were behind her, I, I, I think that would uh, you know, be conservative, to be honest with you. Hmm. On the other hand, Eric, uh, the party insider, he's, um, he's infamous, but he's, he's infamous for, for leading by fear, um, for being a bully. Um, he, you know, he admits he's a bully. Uh, he says the reason is because he's from the Bronx. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if that qualifies. And I know he's been out here in California for I can a while. But... To that, but yeah. Has he met Adrian? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and it, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. He's like a healthcare lobbyist, right? That's yeah. I was so perfect. I was going to get to that. So Eric, right away, you meet him. I, I I'd venture to say you're not going to like him. Um, I can I'm, I can get a little bit into you know his performance in LA um, County out here, um, but yeah, going to your point as far as being a lobbyist, the reason or I think the moment Eric really came onto everyone's radar here in California was uh, November of last year. So uh, November we had the general elections, but in California we also have a proposition system out here. So you guys, I know not every state has it, but you guys may have heard you know California passed Prop you know one, Prop two, mm -hmm. Prop whatever it might be. Yeah. 
Um, and in this case, we had a Proposition 61, which was uh, supported by the California Nurses Union. Uh, they're very, uh, very progressive. They're very close to, to Bernie Sanders. And Bernie actually came here himself to California on three separate occasions to support Proposition 61. Now, Proposition 61 um, was uh, a proposition to bring down the cost of pharmaceuticals across the state. Um, it was, you know, it was endorsed by multiple unions, multiple groups, and it would have made uh, pharmaceuticals more affordable for everybody around the state. So anybody, you know, that might have diabetes, anybody might have Alzheimer's, anybody have, might any, you know, have any kind of a, an ailment um, or, or whatever it may be, it would have brought down those costs. Um, the measure, unfortunately, didn't pass. Uh, I, you know, I think, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was something like 55 to 45, um, it was voted down. And the reason it, it didn't pass, to be, to be honest, is it wasn't endorsed by the state party. Um, most measures or most propositions endorsed by the state party end up passing. The state puts a lot of effort, a lot of money into it, and a lot of advertisement. Now, why wouldn't the state support this and endorse this when they endorse a, a bunch of other propositions? And so that's when people started looking a little bit more into this. And the San Francisco Chronicle found out that, that Eric Bauman, who was the vice chair of the party at the time, and really almost acting as, as the chair because Burton was really hands off. Uh, he, I think he had some personal health issues as well. Um, the state didn't support or endorse Prop 61. And it so happened that Eric Bauman, who was the vice chair, was actually being paid by the pharmaceutical lobbyists, uh, something to a tune of about 12 $1,500 a month, I believe, and I think it all added up to over $100,000 over the course of his tenure or, or however you would refer uh, to him being a lobbyist for that. So it was basically a quid pro quo. When he was confronted with that, he said, well, I didn't do anything. Well, you know, no shit. I'm sorry, can you say that on <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no shit, he didn't do anything, and that's exactly what they paid him for, not to get it, on to, not to get it endorsed. So... You know, right away, uh, the progressive movement, the Bernie movement out here in California, you know, said this guy's a persona non grata. Bernie literally came out here three times to support it, and and it didn't end up passing. So the guy's very much within the machine. Um, you know, the guy, the, the machine over here, it's like, who's next? It's your turn to step up and do this. It's your turn, et cetera, et cetera. It's mm -hmm. not open. Uh, the, the party's not open. It's not transparent. And um, and he's very much you know involved in uh, with with different corporations as so is the, the the rest of the party unfortunately in in California, so sorry for for kind of an extensive background oh, but uh, it so Saturday we come to vote and there's a lot of momentum a lot of uh, fervor a, a lot of energy behind the Kimberly campaign Nina Turner actually came out and uh, and spoke. The night before at a Bernie Crack dinner and uh, and spoke introducing Kimberly Saturday at the convention. Um, the uh, the amount of energy that was there was 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 amazing. Over 50 percent of the people there were with Kimberly wearing bright pink, which was the color she was utilizing. Um, we all had shirts on. We all came down, you know, marching straight forward. And, um, and she gave a great speech. And then later on after that, we went to vote. And it was very organized as far as how the Kimberly campaign um, had people voting. So we'd all um, convene in certain different locations and we'd all go get in line. Now the line was incredibly long. I think it took over two hours for some people. Um, but you'd go in line and after you'd vote, you'd, you'd come out and then you would uh, coordinate with one of the helpers on the Kimberly campaign to say, hey, hey, you know, my name is Alexis. Uh, you know, I'm wearing a, a pink shirt. 
I said I'd vote for Kimberly. I just got out of here. I, I voted sticker and I voted for Kimberly. So they would check and make sure that the people that said that they were committed to her were voting. Hmm. So they had a control um, from that standpoint. And their internal numbers, they were confident that uh, they were going to get the victory. Now, um, the returns started coming in uh, later on that evening, and rumors started coming out that with about 60 or 70 percent of the vote, Kimberly was, was ahead. To be honest with you, I don't know where those numbers come, came from, um, you know, how they were measuring that, but regardless. So there was the, the point being that there was a lot of energy in the room as people were waiting for the vote to come in. And then um, in, in one uh, false swoop, um, it, they, the numbers came back and they said that Eric had actually won. Um, there were about 2,999 people voting and Eric had won by a difference of 62 votes. Um, if you do the math, that's about 2%. But if you really think about it, that's 30 people voting one way or another. That's really 1% of the ballots. Um, so it was very, you know, very sketchy. Uh, you know, 51% is almost uh, what you see across the globe when you have a, um, a person losing by a, by a landslide and they somehow managed to turn the vote around. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of, of questions. There was not a lot of transparency. Um, we wanted to know, you know, how the vote had come in, where if, if there was going to be a recount, et cetera. And then the other, the other part that was very concerning was who could vote? So as I mentioned before, you've got the delegates that can go in there that to get elected or get chosen. Now, to go, to go vote, I showed up on Friday, and you can do the credentials on Friday or Saturday. You show up, um, you get into a line that has your last name, and you say hi to the volunteer and say, hey, my name is Alexis Edelstein. Can I get my credentials? And um, I was prepared to show ID. My name is, you know, I'm a male. My name is Alexis. Uh, it's, a, it's mostly a female's name here in the United States. I'm from Argentina there. It's a male's name, but I get ID'd all the time. I mean, you go through TSA, uh, obviously everyone gets ID'd, but I do get questioned on that even because it says Alexis on the ticket. Now, I showed up and said, hey, Alexis Edelstein. They look at the list. They said, okay, here's a name on the list. Just sign right here. There's no signature of my own over there to actually verify it was my original signature. No ID was requested, and they gave me my credentials. The credentials don't have um, a picture or anything of the sort on there, just a signature that you place at that moment. Then when you go vote, you show them your credentials. You go to the table. You say, hey, my name is Alexis Edelstein. They look at you on the list. They make you sign, and they give you the ballot. Again, no picture ID, and I actually did do a video as to how that process works when you go vote, and that's online, and I can refer you guys to that a little bit later. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so, you know, long story short, if Sam wanted to go and um, Sam Ronan wanted to show up and he's from Ohio, but he wanted to show up and I said, hey, Sam, I'm not going to be able to make it. Um, can you go vote for me? Sam could have shown up given my name. He would have gotten my credentials and he could have gotten to uh, to go to the vote and gotten a ballot with my name on it and voted. Um, now, there is the opportunity to do a proxy, uh, meaning if I wasn't going to be able to go ahead of time and I could plan for someone else going, it would have to be someone from my district, so not someone from out of state. Um, and it has to go through a whole process. Um, but there are no controls um, as to like day of. So let's say we have a list of 20 people and we're like, these people aren't going to show up. Let's just grab 20 other people that are observers or people that live in Sacramento to go vote. So there was no controls. And, um, and when the vote's that close, um, it was great to hear that Kimberly and her team right away said we're, gonna, we're demanding an audit. Mm -hmm. We are not going to concede. 
and we're going to do an audit. So they've been doing the audit for about two or three days now. They're going to take a break and they're going to start back up on Tuesday after the, uh, the long weekend. They said they're about three fourths of the way done. I'm not entirely sure um, what all they are going through the audit, but I can only imagine that, first of all, they are looking to see out of the list of people that said they voted. For example, it says Alexis said he voted. Mm -hmm. uh, his name's on the list. Let's see if we can find his ballot. Obviously, they can't find my ballot. There's a little bit of suspicion. I'm sure they would reach out to that person and be like, well, did you vote? And that yeah. person would be like, yes, well, we don't have your ballot. Maybe it disappeared. I don't know. Um, and the other part, I don't, and I hope they're, they're also doing this, is they can hopefully verify signatures because most of these signatures should be at the uh, the California Democratic Party. So when you actually become a delegate, you do have to sign some documentation, and that should be on, on record somewhere. Um, but so that's where we're at today. And unfortunately, it, it, it's caused a, a riff and a divide within the, uh, the party. Um, going into this, I would say there was already a, a rift and a divide similar to the kind of the Hillary uh, Bernie back in November. However, like I mentioned earlier, Kimberly was a, a Clinton supporter and there were a lot of people that were on the Kimberly group and the Kimberly campaign um, and supporters that were actually Clinton people as well. So it was actually a great example of, of unification of people coming you know, together in, in unity. And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, when I was in Philly at the convention, um, I was a delegate for Bernie. There was a lot of, you know, quote unquote abuse, um, you know, signs being ripped out of hands, people told to, you know, sit somewhere else. And one of the people that was a, you know, volunteer um, that had kind of one of those yellow jackets on, um, which wasn't very friendly to me and to some of the other people, was this, uh, this, this woman from, from the uh, Bay Area. I'm, I'm not going to mention her name, but she has, uh, like, I think she's an assembly person up there. Um, so, you know, after about two or three days of this and dealing with the same person, you, you kind of it's almost like, you know, you're on a on a on a sports field and it's almost like a, a rivalry. So at some point you, you kind of you get a little bit enduring to them. Sure. So after the whole thing was done, you know, we, we took a picture together, and gave her a hug. But uh, to my surprise, when I went to, to Oakland in in February to, to meet with the Kimberly campaign and to all get together, she was up there. And it was great because in front of everybody that was there, maybe about 50 people. Um, she kind of said, well, this is Alexis and we kind of have a little bit of a history, but it's great to see that we're coming together under Kimberly to really move this forward. And we gave each other a big hug. Um, so, I mean, it, it was, there was, you know, there was unity shown across the board everywhere, um, within that campaign. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of brings us to, you know, to today there's, there's continues to be a riff. Unfortunately, we have people that are, um, within the leadership team. Um, right now that, that were elected, um, that have been on Facebook and, um, and, and really getting involved in conversations that uh, aren't necessary for them to get involved and making statements that are, are not helpful in, in trying to, you know, quash any kind of um, animosity that may be out there and really to, to bring the party together. So it's, it's concerning to see that um, there's no you know, consolate or there's, there's no um, attempt, at least it doesn't appear to be. And, and from these comments I've seen in Facebook, attempt from the leadership or the people on, on Eric's side um, to, to try to bring the party together by actually um, giving some kind of, um, you know, of a gesture or, or a, you know, any kind of yeah. consolation or consideration. Um, so, so that's a concern. And, and when you look at the, the votes just being, you know, a, a 51, 49%, and when you look into who actually voted for Eric and being most of the elected officials, and those people do have those additional votes on top of it, in, mm -hmm. in a sense, almost like a super delegate, 
if you really want to get into the whole um, technical aspect, Kimberly actually would have won the popular vote. Now, I know who I sound <laughs> like when I say that, but essentially that's the case, but, right? More people were behind her than yeah. were behind Eric, but because a lot of those people votes weigh a little bit more, um, right now it looks like he's ahead. Well, it, it seems like it's just another example of the party trying to build in infrastructure to quash any kind of progressive movement within the party. I mean... I just I had one one quick thing I just want to address because I I've seen I've seen some of the people you're talking about who try to muddy the waters in this coal recount thing, it, saying that a delegate should need to should require an ID is not the same as a voter ID law. That's a total mischaracterization. These are elected delegates. It's a very select group of people who are actually elected to to represent you know that delegation. So it's very reasonable that they would be asked to, ide to show identification to pick up credentials to vote at a convention. It's not the same as, you know, a state requiring voter ID for anyone. I've, I've seen a lot of them try to use that right. to, to, to smear this whole recount effort. And I think sure, that's Anthony, like bullshit. So I just wanted to. And, no, no, wanted and, to and Anthony, that, that's that's how sorry. Just real quick on that. That's a great point. And um, in Philadelphia at the DNC, so mm -hmm. at the national level. They ID'd the shit out of you, okay? And it wasn't to get into the um, into the arena where all you know the the important people were. Yeah. We were ID'd every morning to pick up our credentials. We had to pick up credentials on a daily basis um, over here in Sacramento. I just picked them up once, but every morning I'd go to the same person who saw me the day before, and I would get ID'd again and again and again, and then twice on the day that we voted because we had to get ID'd again on the day that we voted. Um, so to your point, right? It, this isn't. Um, you know, this isn't the general public. This isn't any kind of voter suppression. This is making sure that myself, um, as an elected uh, delegate, I was elected by my constituents here. Um, I go out there and represent them, and it's not just uh, you know any random Joe schmo. Um, so again, absolutely. I mean, it, that whole argument about mudding the waters—that's ridiculous, and especially when in, in we do have some evidence out there of people voting with um, with. With incorrect credentials as well, so that's hmm. that's something that we do have as well, and, and, and that's being worked through right now. And you know, what I wanted to say on that was the fact that it's two different things. We're talking about a democratic process, which is supposed to be open to the public, versus a parliamentary process, which is yeah, not meant to be open to the public. And I think it's important that that is differentiated and understood. What we're talking about is a select group of people, not to mention the fact that elected officials got to choose their own uh, delegates. Anyway, never mind that. The simple fact of the matter is we have a parliamentary system that's trying to choose people who will be part of the democratic process, which will then determine the fate of basically the state and the nation. Yeah. So also, I mean, there was the uh, Tom Perez speech, which <laughs> got interrupted by, by you know, the, uh, the national nurses who were, who were there, you know, trying to advocate for single payer and rather than uh, hear out, you know, something that 80% of the part, 80% of the democratic base supports rather than being like, Oh yeah, you're right. We should fight for that. The outgoing party chair told them to shut the fuck up and go outside. I think is what he said. So no, literally those were the yeah, words. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, oh, so yeah. So what I was going to mention is like, it, they keep saying that we're supposed to be unifying with them, meaning, you know, the progressives in the party. Yet you present a unity candidate. Kimberly, like you said, supported Hillary in the primaries. This is Keith Ellison all over again. I mean, Keith, you know, had establishment support and he had progressive support. And that still wasn't good enough for them. So they can claim they want unity all they want, but they really just want to totally crush progressive voice 
uh, in the par- group voices in the party. It's just it's unbelievable to me. That's 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 true, and, and and it is. It's mind-boggling for so many different reasons because it's it's not just listen. It's it goes beyond that. Um, they don't want us there, and it's it's there's they're not you know mincing words. Literally telling us to our face, we don't want you here. Telling us on social media, we don't need you. Um, telling us on social media and to our faces, where were you? We've been here fighting for decades. Um, my response to that, honestly, to them is, you know, I'd be ashamed to be telling people I'd be out here fighting here for decades. <laughs> Have you seen the Democratic Party? <laughs> You've lost a thousand seats nationwide in the last eight to ten years. You've lost the, you know, the the Supreme Court. You've lost the White House. You've lost both houses of Congress at the national level. Why are you bragging about this in any other, you know, world, in any other place, in the corporations that you guys love to take money from? You would all be fired. Mm-hmm. Um, it completely, you know, it's a complete failing. Uh, another interesting part about, you know, again, the new blood coming in and, um, you know, and although without being, you know, generalizing and, and being ageism, because there are, you know, older people within the Bernie movement, but, you know, Bernie lo and behold, <laughs> it's right. But lo and behold, it is a younger set of people, right? It's a whole new yeah. generation or there's, there's almost like the generation X almost like doesn't exist. It appears in democratic politics, but, um, if you look at the primaries, and this is this is mind-boggling, in the primaries, in both the Republican and the Democratic primaries last year, millennials voted more in the primaries than millennials voted in the general election. Hmm. That should that should be literally impossible because the general election is open to everybody, and it happens on one day, and it has a ton of media support. The primaries happen, you know, sporadically throughout months. Some of them are closed primaries, so people can't even vote. Um, and, 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 you know, and then you had, you know, the Trump phenomenon where he actually won way before large states uh, actually had a chance to vote. So you factor all those things you, and, and you say, well, how is it possible that a group of uh, a segment of voters, the millennials, actually voted more in the primaries? And then you look at who the candidate was in the general election for the, uh, the Democrats. It, she didn't inspire anybody. There, it's not just Hillary that didn't inspire anybody because she has a, you know, she has a lot of individual problems. But it is the whole party, the way the party is branded, the way the party speaks to uh, the constituents. You know, this identity politics, it, it just doesn't work. Okay, uh, catering to the African American, catering to the Latinos, catering to the LGBTQ. That may have worked generations ago, but millennials, and you can look at their voting records in the primaries vote much more monolithic okay so although you may have uh hillary may have done well with the african-american vote um in in many states when it came to millennials they were much more uh in favor of bernie sanders on the african-american side you know which goes to show it it's you have to speak to them in a way that they believe is authentic in a way that touches on to areas that they are concerned about and uh bernie's shown that those are areas along the lines of issues uh, be it healthcare, be it education, mm-hmm. um, uh, be it environment, um, and none of this, more, you know, no more of this catering to you know Latino, uh, African American, LGBTQ. I mean, that just that just doesn't work anymore. And well, to that you po- see the part. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and to that point, and and they use this to smear progressives a lot. They act like we oppose those things. It's like we come into it almost as a given that we should obviously fight for you know, uh, uh, LGBT rights and civil rights and, and you know, things like that. 
we agree with them on all that, but they that's their only policy. They have no substance. That's like literally their only thing. And they try to act like they own that sphere, but we're fighting to actually help uplift those people economically, absolutely. you know, through healthcare, yeah. minimum wage. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And thanks for making that point clear. No, I mean, to, to me, uh, to us, you know, that shouldn't even be a discussion around the table. I mean, we should have equal rights for everybody and we should continue to fight for areas where people are being disadvantaged. But it goes beyond just identity politics. It, it goes to the actual issues and it goes to actually showing results and stopping lip service to, uh, to some of these issues to actually show, hey, we need to get money out of politics. We actually need to do something about the environment. We need to do something about college debt and, and the expense of going to college. And we need to do something about healthcare. We're in the richest country in the world, in the history of the world, and we're arguing whether or not to have health care for everyone. If the Republicans want to put a bill out that 23 million people will get lost and dumped out of health care. I, I come from Argentina. Argentina has had economic ups and downs and crises over the last 100 years, and especially over the last 40 years. But we have health care for everybody. Um, every other industrialized country has health care for everybody. You can't make something that should be a right, not a privilege, privatized and for profit, and then lock people out. It, it, it is, it, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable that that's a it's discussion immoral, that we're having. Right. It's immoral, yeah, and that that's something that's still going on. And when you move away from these issues that are important, it makes it easier for these politicians to cater to their corporate, um, you know, puppet masters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, any, I'm going to cut this part up, but anything else happened at the convention that you want to, you want to talk about? Um, what, what were we able to do? Uh, so one thing, yeah, one thing I'd love to talk about that hasn't gotten any, any kind of media play, but, um, we were able to actually pass a resolution, um, the Israel Palestine resolution where the party actually uh, passed it and endorsed it, and the verbiage behind it recognizes that the occupation in Israel uh, of the Palestinian territories is illegal, uh, that the party should fight to have international law uh, come into place, including the United Nations, and to recognize Palestine as its own um, self-governing state. Uh, it speaks also to uh, being uh, against uh, Islamophobia and against anti-Semitism as well. It was uh, it was an interesting process. It was put out there um, by a group of people that were obviously interested in doing this, but uh, we did get some pushback from the uh, the Jewish American lobby. But we did actually have a caucus outside of the resolutions committee. It got a little bit heated at first, but it was very, um, you know, positive towards the end. And we were able to put certain verbiage in there that they re that they wanted to put in there, mm -hmm. um, so that they could so they could follow it and accept it. And uh, it went through the resolutions committee. It got approved by it got all yeses except for one no out of I think maybe twenty five people there. And then it passed unanimously on the floor on Sunday. So I think that's a first in the country where you've got a major party. Um, actually saying that the Palestinian state should be recognized um, and things like the uh, BDS movement are not considered um, Islamic or sorry anti-Semite um, that there's an obvious distinction between uh, policy and any kind of, um, uh, of anti-Semitism or, or any kind of uh, racism of, of any kind yeah of, of course I mean they use that as a smear but you know it, it's simply saying that the, that 
Israel is, is essentially an occupying force, and, and they keep encroaching and uh, building settlements on land that is Palestinian land. So, I mean, I, it's to me, it's a no-brainer, but not only the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party stifles any kind of talk of that. So it's, it's, it's yeah, minor miracle that you were able to get that through. I mean, you know, when a reporter asked Tom Perez about that, he, like, runs out the door. He won't even answer a question about PDS. So that's pretty awesome that you got that through, in a, through the party. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, we will definitely keep an eye uh, on what's happening out there. You can come back and update us once they finish the recount and all that's tabulated, see if there are any inconsistencies, because we know they're not above cheating to <laughs> screw a progressive out of a seat, so... Right, right. Well, it's not even cheating. They feel entitled to select who their candidates will be, which yeah. kind of puts me in a bit of a sticky wicket because, I mean... <laughs> you talk shit about them and they don't want to let you in there. Well, yeah. it's not even that. Like, if if I'm not their golden child in Ohio, then... Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like, what does that mean, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me that, we, you know, we, we complain about the superdelegate system, which is horrible, but which is almost a one-to-one. California has a two-to-one uh, superdelegate advantage, essentially, uh, to, to stifle any kind of progressive candidate. So it it, it is kind of amazing that, that, that people have allowed that to go on and that, you know, but I'm glad, you know, we're bringing awareness to it and that you guys are fighting to make sure that the votes are all legit. Um yeah, so we'll definitely have you back on to talk about that when that's all concluded. And yeah. Yeah, that would be great. No, and I appreciate you guys reaching out and giving uh, coverage and, and awareness um, to this. And I think it's it's uh, it's really important because, you know, not only is uh, is California such a large state, but I think it also shows what can be done um, and then what pitfalls to watch out for in other states that may be going through the same thing or, or uh, have different kinds of conventions similar to this coming up. Um, and then it's, it's you know, beyond what happens with the, uh, the, the audit, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the party because if they are making no concessions or any signs that they want to be inclusive, I don't see how a lot of the people within the movement are going to actually fight to um, uplift the party. I can see them fighting for progressive issues and progressive candidates, but actually doing it from within the party and growing the party, I see that as a challenge. And um, in one thing that's, uh, that's undeniable is that in California, the registration for the Democratic Party has gone down. Um, independent registration has gone up. Vote turnout, voter turnout in, in Los Angeles, where Eric Bauman is from, is embarrassingly low. We had a municipal election here um, about a month ago or two months ago, and the turnout was 16%. And that was when the mayor was running and half of the city councilmen were running wow. as well. So um, that's, you know, that's not only anti-democratic and, and almost an embarrassment to call it democracy, but that also, it leaves a huge vulnerability to the Democratic Party because anytime you get somebody with a name like a Donald Trump, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, or someone like The Rock, which I don't know if he's thinking about running for something, <laughs> that wants to run, you know, if you want to be the mayor of L.A., you just need to get 10 to 50 percent of the voters that didn't show up to show up, and you're going to win. Um, so that's that's not a healthy environment to actually foster democracy. Yeah, and we've seen that, like, time and time again, is that just these centrist, uh, you know, non-progressive neoliberal policies don't inspire anyone to turn out. 
and they can only tell us to shut the fuck up and go outside so many times before we're going to take their advice, you know? So they Yeah, but if we're going to take their advice, we need to at least stand together when we do it and not yeah, fight no, each I mean, other. It, you know, that's, that, I think we're all we're, we're we're in we're the movement right now in that sense is in its infancy. So I think we're really trying to figure out how to do that, but um yeah. Well, great. The the, the other thing is uh, just, you know, if you guys want to follow us, uh Democratsofcalifornia.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Um, we're also, the, the reason we actually started is to help provide the movement, uh, including the activists, the organizers, and the, the up and coming candidates with the platforms necessary and the tools necessary to succeed. Um, we are actually having a launch of a product coming out in mid June that is going to be a, a volunteer management software portal. So, similar to like a CRM. But what this is going to do is for progressive volunteers um, where you can sign up and through one portal, you can volunteer one stop shop, so to speak, for any kind, any, any amount of candidates or movement or issues that you want to support. You'll have a calendar fully integrated there. There'll be a system that updates you via however you prefer, if it's text, email, whatever it may be, tied also to social media um, eventually. And as from a candidate or an issue or an activist standpoint, it's beneficial because it helps you manage uh, your volunteers. You don't have to be using Excel, Google Docs, uh, whatever it may be. You'll have all the volunteers in, in one system, and with a touch of a button, you can communicate directly to them, and there'll be updates sent automatically to them as well um, with instructions as to where they have to canvas, if they have to phone bank, what the scripts are, et cetera. So we're going to be rolling that out. It's going to be free of cost to uh, progressive movements, issues, candidates. Uh, for the rest of the year and then next year uh, the roadmap is going to have full integration with third-party uh, software and uh, and facebook as well and there may be a, a, a minor cost to kind of help keep the lights on but i think we're not talking uh, over 10 bucks a month or something like that um, and then we're also working on getting uh, software out there that would help manage campaigns so i don't know if you guys are familiar with things like nation builder but what we're looking to do is offer up like a nation builder on steroids where it's going to have the voter registration file incorporated. It's going to be integrated with social media, including Facebook and Twitter. Um, and you're going to be able to do things like phone bank, uh, texting and canvassing integrated into the system. Um, so it's one stop shop. It's also going to be much more affordable. And the beauty behind that as well is you're going to have access to the database. And in California, unless you're actually endorsed by the party, you have to pay for that out of pocket. And what we're also looking to be doing is to build up a more robust database. So let's say, Anthony, that you, we, we, you know, you're in California. We contact you and say, hey, are you interested in coming out to volunteer? And you say, sure. Or we, we talk to you or you come to a rally and you sign up and like, okay, hey, Anthony's actually interested in the environment where Sam might be more interested in education. Now we're able to put that into the database, and even when the campaign ends, that database continues for the progressives. So if it's a statewide measure or if it's a future campaign, let's say for a state race, we now know what interests you. So we know how best to communicate to you, if it's via social media, if it's via email, if it's via phone or texting, and we know how to communicate to you. So we know what kind of message to send as opposed to sending a generic message. So we're looking to optimize the uh, campaign experience to better, you know, to better exploit some of the uh, advantages that we have. Um, our disadvantages are our lack of resources and money because we don't have that from the party. But our advantages are the 
the, the momentum and then the the energy that's on the ground with the different activists and volunteers and organizers that we have across the state. And so we're able to tap into them and give them the tools necessary for them to succeed and on the back end be able to build up a, a stronger um, database. It, it's a win-win-win for everybody. So those are some of the things that, that we're looking to be doing over the, uh, the course of the next few months and years. Awesome. Great. That is outstanding. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, again, Alexis, thanks for joining us, and uh, we will have you back on soon to talk about the results of the recount and whatever else is going on out there. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, cool. All right, yeah, so that was Alexis. Uh, some real interesting stuff going on out there in California, so we're going to check back in with him as that develops. Uh, we got a few more topics to talk about real quick before we get out of here. Uh Bill Maher's show is fucking terrible, as I'm sure you guys have probably noticed. It used to be, I, I used to, I, I it, it's really disappointing for me because I used to love his show, but uh, he's like really gone off the rails since since the election. I mean, over time, it's it's been happening. Um, I was even arguing with my friend about this years ago, how he was saying he was a sellout, and I was like, no, he's progressive, he's like an atheist, all this stuff, but I, he's completely lost his mind since the election, so... Uh, on last week's episode, he had Cornell West on, who's like an awesome, you know, progressive, uh, huge civil rights activist for years, really well-respected professor. Um, and the line of questioning that Bill Maher twists his, his questioning into is so offensive and so... You know, I'm going to play it for you guys, and you can you can hear it for yourself, and we'll come back and talk about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be right back after you hear this. Because uh, I know this is a matter close to your heart. Um, there was a, a, an acquittal this week of a police officer, Betty Jo Shelby, from Tulsa. She shot Terrence Crutcher, a unarmed black man. Uh, she said she feared for her life. Uh, and then in South Carolina, Michael Slager shot Walter Scott in the back, running away, and that was a, a mistrial. And this, this argument that the cops get away with, I was fearful that they might do something erratic. I thought when you went into the police department, you understood that there was some danger in this job. I don't know where they got this idea that if I fear at all, I am allowed to shoot you. But that seems what's happening. And by the way, Trump is all for it, and Hillary Clinton wouldn't have been. Well, so, as someone who said they were equally awful, no, I'd I like... No, I didn't say equally Yes, awful. you did. I said one was a disaster, another was a catastrophe. Exactly my but a, point. But How a disaster is, is better than a catastrophe. Well, that point was lost. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's oh stop but, 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 it. But let, let, let's keep the focus where it belongs. The police have well, yet to go to jail when they end up committing violence and murdering these young black brothers and sisters. Right. And the problem is we, they, we want a fair trial and for Hillary, them, but there's a chronic racism that shot but, through and over and over again, but it's just not the police. Same is true with Wall Street. No Wall Street executives go to jail either. Rule of law comes down hard on the poor, and the well-to-do get off, or the police get off because they're protecting the property. But Hillary's first speech was about mass Hillary gave speeches about all kind of stuff, but it didn't have a whole lot of integrity in it, though, brother. That that, that's such bullshit. That's not bullshit at all. Really? Look you, how they you... treated Bernie Sanders, man. 
They treated... concerned about the Russians. Look how they treated Bernie Sanders. They, yeah. Bernie would have won if he had a chance. He would have won if he had a chance. Don't, don't defend Hillary. And... Hillary can't even take responsibility for the fact that she lost the election. Look what you did to him. On everybody, but, yeah. everybody but, he, but he's so, so don't, wrong. Don't, don't try Hillary out he, on he, me. He's, not wrong. he's so wrong. She's it, better than Trump, it, but don't don't lie about the sister. Just she's better than Trump. That's all I'm saying. A lot better than Trump in so many ways. And just just that, on that, this, that, 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 that just take too much. Just, that doesn't take too much. Who is it better than Trump? Well, that's not an answer. It's glib. It's beneath that's you. Not, no, it's for not someone glib who's at all. Such, for someone who's such an intellectual, that is that answer is beneath you. Let me tell you why it's not. It's precisely because when I ask you, would you vote for, for, for Donald Trump over David Duke, you say you wouldn't vote for either one. Remember I took, yeah, Hillary that, is not David Duke. No, no, but it's this. If you're talking about Wall Street, if you're talking about militarism, if you're talking about dealing with folk in Honduras, she's light years better than him about the, the, all of them. All the of those issues, Hillary is unacceptable. No, she is not unacceptable. The, the, the she was. Why are we still arguing the last election? And we got stuff going on over here. Because they haven't learned the, a lesson that we no. need to win the next election. No. That's why. No, 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 no. There's a lesson you're going to need for 2017, which is about making responsible choices. For 2018? No, for 2017. Oh. Because, uh, because Bill was talking earlier about how he wanted to see Donald Trump not be president by Christmas, which would be nice. That means, Don, that means Michael Pence becomes vice president, and that is better. And, any, and, yes. and everyone in this room exactly. says, you do not have to vote for Michael Pence in 2020. You don't have to vote Republican in 2018, but you'd better, if you have any hope, it is that he becomes president as rapidly as possible. Um, and, and acknowledge, that I, I, and, I, and what I would say to you mm. is, Hillary Clinton's not exactly my political cup of tea. Well, I know, I know. I, 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 voted for, I voted for her as the responsible choice compared to the alternatives I had. Exactly. No, no. But this is the, this is the high challenging teaching for the audience, and you have to do the same thing for Michael Pence when the time comes. I could not agree more. Michael Pence is well within the parameters of awful that we have come to see as the norm. <laughs> it's true. I've seen Mike Pence before. He's a typical, hypocritical, curious. Exactly. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. Not as dangerous, dangerous as Donald Trump. Okay, okay. Can I become the benchmark of somebody being better? Because he's president now. Because you had the snake bite. Because you had the snake bite, and, oh, now, and, and now you have to understand the difference between in, things you don't like but can live with that are normal. Right. Um, look, I, life I doesn't I, give you two great choices. Adults choose the better. Brother there Bill, is no great one. I on live the, in New Jersey. If I had voted for Hillary Clinton, it would have made a whip of difference because she needed to win Wisconsin. She needed to win Ohio. She didn't go to Wisconsin. She okay. lost because I live, she didn't I go live, to the right I live in the District of Columbia. So, so you know what? It made less these, of a difference. These poor That's not black why you vote. brothers that you're always talking about yes. wouldn't lose their health care under Hillary Clinton, That's and they will under Donald Trump if he gets his way. So, please, I don't know, I don't know who you think you're standing up for. No, but I, well, let me put it this way, though, brother. Let me put it this way. You are absolutely right in terms of these particular instances in which the difference would have been made, but for you instances. to have to then steal 
hide and conceal the underside of Hillary Clinton and, and end up I'm lying not concealing about her, it. contributes to the lies that's been okay. pervasive. That's my point. My aim is not just the one Okay, I'm I can't watch any more of that. Because you're right, Bill Mayer, like, I don't know what the hell he's smoking. Like, I, I agree with Cornell. She is better than Trump. Yes, that is a fact. But, Bill's like, no, a lot. You know, it, even... It, it's just so fucking offensive that he's so, he's so trying to push his bullshit, Hillary is great narrative, that he will use the fucking death of, of, of an African American at the hands of the cops... To fucking shoestring Hillary into it. The whole question was about a cop shooting a guy in the back, and she was like, "Oh, and Hillary's against that." Really? That that's that. What the fuck? Where does that even come from? He's so what intellectually about the crime dishonest. bill? Like, yeah. What about the fucking crime bill? Are oh, you yeah. kidding me? Her, Hillary's pro like people getting shot by the fucking cops. husband has incarcerated <laughs> thousands of fucking innocent black. This men is recording, for, right? Like, yeah, this yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're recording. Okay. It, it's unbelievable to me how fucking. Just totally a, a, a fucking mouthpiece for the establishment Bill Maher has become. You're talking yeah. to a fucking civil rights activist, Cornell West, who's one of the most respected civil rights activists we still have with us. And, and told him he was wrong about civil yeah. rights. And they tried like me walking up to, like, well, literally walking, telling Adrian she knows nothing about women's rights. Like, what? <laughs> And they, and they try to fucking make him look goofy. They're like, they're like laughing at him just because he, you know, has a, his own way of talking. Well, well, Cornell that gets, West is that... smarter than any of the motherfuckers on that panel. David Frum is a fucking war criminal, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, and I and see... actually, Neil deGrasse Tyson's very smart. I shouldn't say no, that. No, but Anthony... Yeah, but Neil know... deGrasse Tyson was, like, not defending him. No, well, wait a second, guys. You I, you didn't see the whole clip. I watched the whole episode. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson wasn't allowed to get a fucking word in, okay? They didn't let him no talk. Pencil. He was like, Bill, I have I want to say something. And it was about um something relevant that for Neil deGrasse Tyson. They wouldn't let him talk. <laughs> Yeah, no, you Bill can't Maher's, have truth on the air, apparently. No, of course not, because Bill Maher almost he used to always... Bill Maher's show, I used to watch it, because he used to have people on, like Jeremy Scahill and like Cornell West, mm -hmm. like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. He doesn't fucking have those people on anymore, because he can't... He's so entrenched in his fucking bubble now, and he's such a rich fucking... Mil How many times do I have to listen to a fucking millionaire comedian tell me that right. I'm being irrational about wanting a candidate who actually represents what I want, not representing a fucking billionaire, you know, Wall Street fucking conglomerate or some mega corporation. You know what, Anthony? Yeah. I just realized something. Yeah. He's, he's pulling a fucking MSNBC. Oh, he's yeah. going right. Because yes. look at who he's been having on. You know who we had on before that? He had on, um, he had John Kasich on. He Are had, you kidding me? No, no, he had, um, Who's that guy oh, that they did? He had fucking Milo on. He had Milo Yiannopoulos yeah. on. No, no, no. Who's that guy that um Roger Stone? He had Roger oh my Stone God. He had Roger on. Roger Stone on. Jesus he Christ! Had, uh, just on that very episode, I forgot who was the leading was, guy on that episode. It's, was fucking Alex Jones busy? Like what? Really, yeah. Roger Stone? No, like... it's somebody super pro Trump. I can. I, I'll have to look it up for you. Like such bullshit. Uh, yeah, so he's, he's a fucking garbage person he's pulling a fucking msnbc he's going right you know he's getting all these right wingers on now it's just proof that you know you can you can be progressive as progressive as you want but you start throwing millions of dollars at they start throwing millions of dollars at you and you start forgetting about where you fucking came from and what you were fighting for and you just say yeah well i'm good so uh I, you know we can stop here <laughs> we don't need to worry about everybody else who's fucking dying because they can't afford health care 
or can't pay their rent or can't get a fucking job that pays them a living wage so they can, you know, have a fucking place to live and they don't have to be on Medicare or Medicaid rather. It's just fucking unbelievable how, how, how far he's fallen from what he, I think he used to be. So I just wanted to highlight that cause that, that was insane. Um, <laughs> oh, well, you know, that was super, uh, that, that made us all really angry, but I think this will, uh, brighten our spirits up cause this is Bernie Sanders just absolutely fucking ethering Mick Mulvaney talking about the Trump budget, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll play and we'll talk about it. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for this. Thanks very much, Mr. Chairman. You know, before we go further, I find it a little bit unfair <clears throat> that Mr. Mulvaney and many people in the Trump administration disparage the director of the CBO when it was Tom Price, the former Republican chairman of the Budget Committee, who appointed, Tom, who appointed uh, Dr. Hall in the first place. So let's get that clear. Um, Mr. Mulvaney, as you know, the United States today has more income and wealth inequality than any major country on earth. Top one-tenth of one percent now owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. Fifty-two percent of all new income today is going to the top one percent. But your budget thinks that it is good public policy to provide $52 billion in tax breaks to the wealthiest family in this country, a family already worth $128 billion. You think that a family like the Walton family, where one guy there owns four Ferraris and one Maserati that are worth more than $65 million, are just in desperate need of massive, massive tax breaks. You think that Sheldon Edelson, who among other things contributed $5 million for the Trump inaugural, is in need of a massive tax break as well as the Koch brothers. So my question is pretty simple. And I want you to tell the American people why you think it is a good idea to give $3 trillion in tax breaks to the top 1% at a time when the rich are becoming much richer, while at the same time you're gonna throw 17 million children in this country off of health insurance because of the unconscionable cuts that you are making to Medicaid why are you going to throw seniors in the state of Wyoming or the state of Vermont off the Meals on Wheels program, maybe the one nutritious program that they get a day? Why are you going to throw women and low-income babies off of the WIC program at a time when infant mortality rates in this country was already high? Do you really think it is a great idea to tell a low-income pregnant woman that you're going to take away the WIC program take away nutrition programs from children in order to give a massive tax break of $52 billion to the Walton family. Please explain your logic to the American people. Uh, I'll see if I can handle each of those in reverse. Actually, let me deal with the CBO first. I can't disparage who I don't know, and I don't think I've ever disparaged the director. Of the you CBO. made a dismissive remark about him. I made it. Even the CBO. You guys appointed the director. And again, I, all I'm telling you is that the results are awful. Uh, but you appointed them, so let's go with that. I, I measure I measure performance by results, Mr. Sanders. And if you continuously your opinion the bad is numbers, that the results are terrible, I'm suggesting that it was a member of the Trump administration who appointed this gentleman, not some kind of radical Democrat. So we can agree then that the CBO puts out bad data. No, okay. we can't. We okay. can agree 
that you guys are beating up on a man that you appointed because you don't like his results. But anyhow, get back to the question. I don't Why like, tax don't breaks like for billionaires because they're cuts not right. Wick for working is, class um, kids. Uh, WIC serves all the projected uh, participants. There's no change there. Meals on Wheels is not reduced at all. The change that we make is through the uh, CBDG program, which you eliminate. The block grant thing. So you eliminate the block grant. You tell me that doesn't that funds the program. You tell me that doesn't have an impact. No, the, on the program, program is funded, Senator, through the um, uh, old age or senior nutrition program. I think through HHS, which we don't change. No, that's not that, true. No, it is true actually. The CDBG program is a block grant to the states, yes. and some states do choose choose. To use some and of that you eliminate money on that wheels, program. On and that total right, the bottom line is, the t Senator. I mean, if you, uh, go ahead, answer the, the question. The total money for Meals on Wheels that comes from CDBG is three percent. That's it. Yeah, and I don't know how you can possibly contend that we're. But going you to are eliminating the program that funds not only Meals on Wheels but many other programs at the discretion of governors and, and banks. I would be more than happy to have a long discussion about CDBGs. You asked about right. Medicaid as well. Um, the slashing of, of Medicaid, the dramatic cuts to Medicaid, um, is a slower growth rate in Medicaid. There's one year exception during the Affordable Care Act where, excuse me, the Affordable Health, the American Health Care Act, where um, we, the bill calls for the end to expansion and there's a small reduction that year, but generally speaking, over the 10 year budget, Medicaid spending goes up Every yeah, but so does health care inflation. We go through these games every single year. Inflation is going up a lot faster than the money that you're putting in. Bottom line is, tell me, I, let me get back to one question. Sure. Why do you think the Walton family needs a $52 billion tax break? My guess is that you're, you're basing that assertion on the only tax detail that we have in the budget. The repeal of the repeal estate of tax. The, uh, the exactly. Right. Um, and if we want to have a talk about why we're repealing that, I'd be more than happy to do Good. that. Good. Let's tell me. Because ordinary people are paying more. No, ordinary people do not have a wealth of $128 billion. The average, That's not an ordinary person. The average increase across this nation since You're not answering the question. The question is, the, answer the question. The wealthiest family in America gets a $52 billion tax break as a result of the appeal of the estate tax. That's correct. Tell the American people why you think that's good when you cut Medicaid and you cut programs for kids. We, we, we don't cut Medicaid. We're talking about repealing Obamacare. The results Probably that you Probably 23 million people off of health insurance. That's right. The, the, which is a CBO number that I think you just agreed could be wrong. At the no, I didn't agree to that at all. Okay that we repeal Obama. Why does a billionaire family get a $52 billion tax break? Because Please we, tell the American people. Because we think it's wrong that real ordinary folks lose coverage, and we want to get rid ordinary of Ordinary people. Is yes. the Walton family an ordinary family? Uh, no, they're not. They're extraordinary. But ordinary people are losing coverage today under Obama. I asked you why the wealthiest it. family in America is getting a $52 billion and tax break. And I'm answering the question by saying because we repeal Obamacare. No, you and the estate tax, which applies to the top two tenths of one percent. Um, Senator, okay, if that, if that well, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought the assumption was we were looking at the tax, the, the tax reductions that are contained in Obamacare. Report. No, that's not what we're talking about. No, tax. no, no. Okay, we're talking about the repeal of the estate tax, which All you right. just mentioned. Um, the budget assumes a deficit-neutral tax plan because when we wrote the budget, we did not have nearly enough specifics to assume what you're assuming, which is the specific reductions. Yes. The proposals that the White House published about three or four weeks ago, the principles that we set forth, does include a reduction of the estate tax. Repeal of the estate tax, sir. You said, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It is a repeal of the estate tax. But I think it's, it's mathematically impossible to take those general principles and assume a direct impact on a particular family. 
You no, can't that's do it. Not, Nobody can do it. I've, I've seen estimates from groups that say, oh, it's going to no, add that's not, that's, by $2 trillion to $10 trillion. People no, just that's really not numbers. true. I mean, we don't know when people are going to be dying, that's for sure. But you can I'm make sorry, you those you, estimates. We don't know that people are going to no, be dying. No, you don't know when somebody is going to be dying. But the okay. truth is okay. that if the family is worth 100 I'm pretty sure they're going to die eventually. That we can be pretty okay. sure of. Well, at least we agree on something. Thank you. Senator Graham. <laughs> that was borderline fascinating. Uh, <laughs> so I can't believe I actually watched the whole thing because I was just shocked at how utterly fucking. <laughs> you know what? Now I'm I'm using so, the word as a comma, but fucking Bernie. Uh, this is this is precisely why you want me in Congress because I'd be like, all right, listen here, motherfucker, you are trying to feed a whole bunch of bullshit to the American people to justify your actions. Let's be really clear on what the cut, the removal, the repeal of the estate tax is. Who the here in the fucking audience up there in the goddamn rafters has a motherfucking estate? Show of hands. It's only the top None. 10% of Americans. It's people with like $10 million no, no, no. or more. But it's fucking insanely small. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Have you ever been to the Capitol building? Yeah. Okay, so you know that when you go there and you actually want to watch Senate do the Senate thing. Yeah, yeah. You're actually in a rafter in a balcony overlooking and you're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> meaning, meaning what you're seeing in this clip in the Senate that there are dozens, if not scores, if not hundreds of people above them watching. Not once are they addressed. Not once is anybody even looking at them. And the cameras are pointed at Bernie and, and the idiot mm -hmm. behind the stand. Look those people in the face and tell them that, yep, these billionaires are getting their estate tax repealed so that you can get fucked in the ass. Yeah. And, I mean, I just love the, the fire burn. I mean, fucking Bernie Balboa just knocked this fucking fool out with, with verbally. It was, so, it was just so great to watch him squirm. Like, this, just walking, like, sack of flop, flop sweat in a fucking suit. Just sit there and squirm. And he had no answers. I mean, he had no answers. Well, and except for incriminate himself further. Did you <laughs> notice that part when Bernie was try trying to talk about the estate tax? And then he's like, oh, wait, well, do, you well, mean, uh, yeah. do you mean us? Do you mean the tax break that all the wealthy people are going to get when we repeal Obamacare? <laughs> By the way, I love because he was so he was so rushed that he he let slip how he feels about rich people. He was like, well, you know, Bernie's like, well, is the, Wal the, the Waltons an ordinary family? He's like, no, they're extraordinary. But <laughs> that's just the way. The funniest thing to me, though, was. I, you guys can't see this, but seek out the video. The guy behind Bernie is so incredulous at some of the bullshit that Mick Mulvaney says during that speech. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, what? And those guys never, they're like the fucking Swiss, Swiss guard at the Vatican. They like never break. But, they, That's but the he point. was just, he could not believe the bullshit that this guy was spewing. I couldn't either. Now, could you imagine 435 other people like you and me in Congress listening to this stupidity? And like, listen, we were literally... Just now, like just before Election Day, we were farmers, we were teachers, we were cashiers, we were managers uh, at, at stores, we were electricians, plumbers, and mechanics, right? We were the people that you are trying to justify screwing over. And you expect us to believe this bullshit? Like, how do you sleep at night? Now I'm on a, a pile of money, probably. Now I'm a, now I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> on a fucking Thank giant you. pile of money like Scrooge McDuck, is, as I imagine how they sleep, but... The problem is, is most of people in, in Congress, and by Congress, I mean the Senate and the House, most of them are in bed with rich people. I mean, where are they getting their money from? Well, now, you know, I mean, the, the good and the bad thing about the, the Trumps is of the dead. Yeah, I mean, the, 
the good and the bad thing about the Trump administration is he's so inept and so corrupt that he doesn't try to hide the corruption. He actually puts the fucking rich billionaires in his cabinets. So like Betsy DeVos has been a, and her family have donated like, uh, like almost like a billion dollars to the Republican Party over their lifetime. He actually put her as the fucking Secretary of Education, and she's another disaster. And they she had another disastrous uh, hearing in front of the Senate where she just you know. How how she can just sit there smugly and smile when talking about how she's not going to provide any protection whatsoever for uh, school charter schools to you know and, and non discrimination is fucking insane to me. But she's shameless. It's, she's fucking shameless. She's yeah. She's, she's a fucking movie super. She's like a Disney villain. Like I cannot believe like Cruella Deville. She really is Cruella. Someone said something like she'd like make make a coat out of like the like the hides of poor people, like something like that. Like she's yeah. such a fucking oh, she's the worst. Um, she's gonna make herself a wig with all the children that she like kicked out of school programs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we laugh, but she's so oh, she's she's such a disaster, and she's already trying to funnel. And by the way, I you know this is getting off on a tangent, but the reason we fucking fight so hard against the the corporate Democrats. Cory Booker is, like, her best fucking friend. He spoke at one of her uh, dinners for, quote-unquote, school choice, which everyone should know by now, by watching her Senate hearing, is just code for, we're going to take money away from public schools and give it to fucking Christian private schools that can discriminate and do whatever the fuck they want. Oh, and they can fail and get millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars, i.e. charter gate in Ohio. They have no standards whatsoever. It's it's fucking... All it is is privatization of, of... education and what they want to do is privatize k through 12 because that's the only thing they can't stand that there's any kind of fucking social program that helps kids go to school for free so well and learn and actually learn things like the dumbing down of society is arguably complete like our history is whitewashed we're not even teaching cursive in schools anymore um pretty soon you're not going to even be able to read 1984 fahrenheit 411 like what what what's left you know what? What else is there left to be taught? We have the lowest test scores in the country, in the world uh, of of a Western civilization. Our students are continuously not able to do just simple things out of school. Like we're cutting home ec, we're cutting shop class, we're cutting life skill classes. We're even getting rid of the arts and uh, foreign language. About the only thing that school's good for now is sports. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're fighting. Um, yeah, so uh, that about does it for us this week. Uh, next week, we're going to come back. I'm going to try to get to this 2020 candidate story that I've been promising for like three weeks, but some crazy shit happens. But, you know, I'm proud that we got through an episode and didn't do a Trump story because I'm sick of that motherfucker and I'm sick of him ruining our podcast rundown every time I prepare one. Well, no. This is how we we beat that idiot, right? We don't talk about him. If we all collectively ignored that dumbass, he would go away. He would implode. Now, granted, he would still be POTUS. I'm not saying the words president and Trump in the same sentence other than like that. But Sam, would he be still be president if Hillary Clinton didn't push her media friends to push him so much? There's yeah, she elevated of... him. Jesus Christ. She yeah, she did. It. sure did. Hey, no, we're talking about him now, so stop it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Wait, this is, I'm branding this episode as DJT Free, so let's let's shut the fuck up about him because... 
We don't need to talk about the glowing orb of fucking Sauron or the or the pushing the Montenegro prime minister no, out of the way. You're going to cut this out. You're just going to cut that yeah. last part out. <laughs> you're going to cut it out, right? Yep. Anyway, let's just say goodbye already. Okay. Yeah, so thank you for joining us. And uh, join us same time next week for the Our Voice podcast. You can find me at a Montrelo on Twitter. Sam is at Ronan for Progress. Adrian is at Sanders Still. Uh, go to ourvoiceinitiative.org and check us out. All right. Have a good one.